It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix Santa Cruz, California, vampires, and a sexy sax man? Why you get the Lost Boys. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And it is the start of season fucking six. Holy crap. I can't believe I've been doing this for this fucking long. And I'm still making episodes and we're still going strong. Uh, And uh, yeah, so for those that may be just deciding to listen to this podcast for the very first time because, oh, hey, it's a podcast on The Lost Boys. Um this is not necessarily the norm when it comes to the podcasts because this is a movie I absolutely love. Like, unabashedly, it's probably going to get a good review score, uh, but I'm still going to try to approach it like I approach everything else. You know, it's just one of those things. This is an episode for me to have fun with to start off a brand new season. And yeah, I know, it's more like the anniversary of show. I, that's the way I like to do it. Um, and people that have listened before, you know, you already know the way that this is going to fucking go. So, <laughs> strap in. Uh, but, yeah, so every time we start up a new season of the Terrible Terror podcast, the anniversary show, it's always going to be a movie that I really love. Now, the very first episode I did of the show was Terror Vision. And if you go back and listen to that episode... Man, <laughs> it's a little rough. Um, again, I've always thought about going back and maybe revisiting TerraVision and going through it at kind of the way that I did it now. But will I have the same reactions? Uh, will I say a lot of the same things? I don't fucking know. But it definitely wouldn't be like the 45-minute episode I think that was. Uh, it'd probably be a lot longer. To be honest with you, uh, comparative to way everything is now, and I always start the show now with about try try to keep it underneath ten minutes, but sometimes it's longer with a little more talk, and it's just weird, like how the show has gone and where the show is going, um, and I'm really trying to keep everything within a good amount of time, but I talk too goddamn much, and uh, I'm, I appreciate that everybody comes. And listens to the podcast and spends time and, you know, really enjoys what I do. And it's uh, allowed me to do this for this long. Um, I could be putting out episodes that, you know, um, I don't know. I just don't feel like fucking doing anymore. <laughs> but um, I, I still have fun with everything. So uh, unlike a lot of the other ones where it's either movie I've never seen before, it's a truly bad movie, anything like that. Like I said, this is one 
that hands down I'm going to tell you that I really, really like. And it's hard for me to be objective when talking about this movie. But I think I'm going to be able to do a job on that this time. We'll see. Um, so, The Lost Boys. Now, at the end of the last episode, I did say I was going to share something because there is... A little bit of personal stuff. It's not like it's like, oh, it saved my life type of personal stuff. But I went to school at UCSC. And the thing is, is that I actually had never seen this movie until I went to that school. I know. I know. You guys are going to be like, what? How come you didn't watch it? Well, you know, growing up, I liked horror movies. But I never really sat down and watched them on a regular basis. Like, oh yeah, I'll watch this. Or things that I thought weren't horror a lot of people are like, well, yeah, that was a horror movie. And I was like, really? Or there were movies that, you know, I had seen because I wanted to see it because it was more sci-fi, like Event Horizon. And then comes out, it's a horror movie more than a sci-fi movie. It's just based in space, right? But I used to be scared shitless of a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> and I'm sure this will come out on something else later on, but like... Spaceballs, for example, um, I could never watch the last scene of the movie where William Hurt gets it once again because it used to scare the shit out of me. Even Pete's the fucking hut, he used to scare the living shit out of me too. And that's just the way that I was. And as I grew up, I just really liked what the genre had to like do. Like most of my horror stuff, honestly, growing up were classics. Where you had your creature from Black Lagoon, you had your Draculas, you had your Frankenstein's monster, you know, the Wolfman. All of those, you know, I, I loved them to death. But they weren't that scary. They were just movies to me. Like, I really liked these characters. And, and it kind of led me more into, like, fantasy and where, you know, the video games that I really loved to play were more fantasy-based video games. Role-playing games that told a story. And I always felt like horror movies actually told a better story than a lot of dramas that were out there like all that shit was the same and i'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to tell me or not have actually told me uh or maybe some people believe i'm not saying a lot of people are going to tell me especially the ones that listen to this podcast they're not going to tell me that well you know all horror movies are the same like the plots are basically the same and to that i say eh, maybe but a romantic comedy is always going to be a romantic comedy right I mean, I think Patton Oswalt put it best, where it's just, who's trying to fuck? Like, that's the romantic comedy. Not saying that there aren't some great variations of stories, you know, but it's always about, who's Jennifer Aniston gonna fuck? And who is Brad Pitt going to fuck? And who is Paul Rudd going to fuck? Well, Paul Rudd is probably not gonna fuck anybody. Maybe his, like, stepsister or something like that. Of course, he's always going to be, like, 25 or isn't he like 27 something like that i don't know but it's it's really just kind of a, a thing about this you know there is a little bit of tried you know trials and tribulations and then eventually they get together and then they you know do whatever the fuck they're gonna do and that's it but there's a lot of like variations to horror yeah okay you have your monster flicks you have your slasher flicks you have your you know psychological thrillers you have you have all these like archetypes but you get some really fucking amazing stories out of these things with like backstories for creatures that you never thought that you're going to be interested in uh terrifier is a great example of this with art the clown you know i talked with dave about that and 
it's something that was truly amazing. I was just kind of like, okay, clowns, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm getting into this. And then I watched it, and that performance is so good that you're just like, I became enamored with that character so quickly. And I just wanted to see more. And the funny thing is, is like, even recently, I just went through all of the Hatchet films. I never, well, I had seen the first one. I realized that after I watched it. They're all up on Amazon Prime, and maybe they're going to show up on here one of these days. But I ended up seeing, oh, they have two, they have three, and they have Victor Crowley. Let's go watch them all. So over the course of, like, maybe, like, the last week or so, I've watched all of them. And I'm really interested in that character. Is it kind of a base slasher movie? Yeah, sure. Stupid ghost legend, stupid characters, you know, but... There's something about that, like, creature that is created from those films or that that apparition or whatever you want to call him, you know, that killer that's there, that there's something I really like. And there's things about the films that I like and how tongue-in-cheek they became, you know, over time. It, it, it's something that you don't see in, like, when a bad romantic comedy or a bad comedy or a bad drama is bad... It is just bad. Like, it's hard to get through it. But with horror, even if it's bad, you can enjoy the shit out of it. And you can enjoy, like, the characters and the lore. And, you know, there are some that are so bad, they're bad, and there's nothing that you're going to fucking do about it. And it's going to be Demon Child 666 for, like, the rest of the 30 minutes that you're watching this thing. Because you put 40 fucking minutes into it, and you just want to see how this movie fucking ends. You know, there are those, and then there's going to be, or fucking thanks killing three, Jesus fucking Christ, that piece of shit, but then there's, there are the thanks killings, and there are, you know, the really cool kind of shorts like Shadow of the Vampire I did way, 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 way back, you know, in the very first season of the show, you have these cool little things that at least... There's something imaginative about it. I don't know. Maybe that's what just draws me. It, it's just like a, you know, it's weird for me to say this too, but I kind of view horror movies as a role-playing game, right? There's a story. It's really in-depth. Even if it's not there on screen, there was that desire to have that there, and you get involved in the characters so much more easy than something like a comedy. Even though there's actors that you fall in love with because of their comedic timings. And there are some comedic characters that I would say that you would be like, yeah, okay, I'm always going to be attached to that. But it's, I just feel it's not the same as, you know, a, a horror monster. Like, you know, even Godzilla, which isn't, which, you know, that's just kaiju and that's just monsters. But there's some attachment to it. Yeah, there's like 30-something movies, 31 movies, 32, I guess, if you count you know, uh, King of the Monsters, and we don't count one of them that we talked about in the podcast because that's not Godzilla. But you still can get connected to that character and you can kind of feel for that character, which is weird to say. Uh, but I, I just feel like some of these, like, yeah, I can laugh at this movie, okay? I'm not saying, like, it's hard because I go back to the, the Spaceballs analogy. There are great characters in that film, too, for me. But if I look upon it, it's just that that movie, overall, everything is good, but I can take a character like a Jason Voorhees or even the Babadook that is something that's more recent, you know, and I can connect it. Or again, Art the Clown, where I just, there's something about that just draws me to that character, and every time that character is on the screen, that's all I'm focused on. I'm not focused on the movie as a whole, you know, so... 
Maybe I'm full of shit and I'm just saying shit out of my ass or whatever it is, but that's, you know, the way that I kind of attracted myself into horror more than just, you know, being obsessed with it when I was a kid. And and everybody, I'm not saying that that's a wrong way to go about it because I know plenty of people that did that way and some people love it just for the gore and some people love it just for the fact that they're going to get a scare and there's going to be a release out of it. I, I totally get that. But, you know, for me, when it comes down to it, I just really like like the, the monsters, the characters, the, how they get into it, the stories that are being told. And I, there was a class, and I'm tying this all back to UCSC. Don't worry, I'm getting there. So there was a class that I did take that was about horror and film. And this is kind of the same thing I got out of it. The, the downside was is that I reacted differently to the films that we watched versus the rest of the class that was just like, uh, I'm just kind of taking this lit class for, you know, because it seemed like it was going to be easy, where me, I kind of discovered my love for the films. Now, this was much later into my college career there, but one thing that we did, you know, that UCSC, if you've never been there before, and I'm assuming a lot of people haven't, uh, but that college campus is broken up into nine smaller colleges, right? You've got, well, I believe it's now up to 10, maybe even 11. But at the time I went there, we had up to nine. You had, you know, or eight, I guess. Nine was kind of coming. It came, I think, the last year that I was there, College Nine showed up. But you had, you know, College Eight, Oaks, uh, Kresge, uh, Crown, Merrill. Um, fuck, I can't remember the other one that was over there. <laughs> But why can't I remember all the fucking colleges to the college that I fucking went to? God, I'm a fucking disgrace to being a banana banana slug. But the biggest thing that you need to know uh, is that I went to Stevenson. And it was based off of Adelaide A. Stevenson. And the main reason I went there, and I know this is probably kind of boring, um, was because it had a longer core course. Right? I do three semesters of core looking at all different types of writers and philosophers throughout the whole year. Rather than just being like, okay, well, one of these three... Uh, semesters that you're going to be here, you're going to just take one set of core courses and that's it. And I thought, oh, that's better for my learning to do it that way. So when you select a college and you select your core course for your freshman year, you have to stay on campus, right? At least the first semester, I think you can move off. It may have changed now. I don't fucking know. It's been a really fucking long time since I rock and rolled there. But nonetheless, um, what they would do in Stevenson as an activity and later on as we, you know, I actually got help in planning these things is they would set up a giant like movie theater screen, you know, or just a projector screen out on what they called the knoll. And the knoll, what was great about from over there was that Stevenson and uh, the college next to us, which for the life of me, I cannot remember for, out of the top of my head. Uh, we actually had views directly into the ocean of Santa Cruz. You know, you could see all the way down to the boardwalk. It'd be very far away, but you could see down there, right? And so they would s set up the, the screen projector because we could see this, and they would play The Lost Boys. Now, before I went there, a couple years before, the whole thing with Pulp Fiction became like the big thing, right? The fact that John Travolta wore a banana slug t-shirt, and they had pictures of the character up in the, you know, the library as well as in the student store and stuff like that, 
get your gear, you can be just like John Travolta. And I was like, oh, oh no, I don't want to be like John fucking Travolta. That's, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. But what I did enjoy was The Lost Boys. And because it connected me better to the community. And then it was fun after I saw it to actually go downtown and like look at all the stuff of where things were shot. Because everything was shot basically in and around the area. Now, where the grandfather's house is, not necessarily. But you get to walk down and you can walk down to Natural Bridges. Uh, well, you can bust down there, and then you can walk down there. And you can see just the whole winding road that was coming up as they were coming into Santa Cruz. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, it's Santa Carla in the film, but it's all down there. So it was really cool to live in the city where this movie was shot. And to be able to visit the places where it was shot. To go down to the boardwalk, to see where they shot key moments in the film, and see all the stuff. And Us was also shot in Santa Cruz and a lot on the boardwalk as well. So it's just really cool and it was a really ex- uh, like excellent experience being able to watch this film and actually see the stuff in the background that was on the screen as you're watching it out there. So it's it just it I guess it made it so that this film itself has kind of a special place in my heart because you know, when I was growing up, the Corys were a thing. Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, they were all over the fucking place. But I don't feel like I was old enough to really get into these two, even though they're relatively close to my age at the time. And, you know, rest in peace, Corey Haim. Uh, but it, it's just kind of a, a weird experience to, like, see it much later, realize, you know, because I was a big Goonies fan when I was younger, And things in that fucking movie scared the living shit out of me. So, you know, (laughs) even though they shouldn't have. But I was never really into the whole Corey thing. Like Feldman, Haim, whatever. And seeing this, it was just kind of like a, a throwback to that. And it's still kind of a throwback to like that era, you know, in the 70s. And just seeing everything. And realizing how ridiculous some parts of this movie are. And... I think that that also lends itself to a reason why I like this movie so much. I said in the last episode, too, that the trailer really does nothing for the movie. It doesn't give you a feel of what the movie is. It's like they saw this. They really didn't know how they were supposed to market this thing. And they just threw together a shitty fucking trailer. Or they just wanted to get something out and not give away anything. But it doesn't play to the movie's strengths. But that doesn't mean that the movie wasn't popular or didn't do well. Well, it wasn't super popular, right, based upon what it was. It could have gathered a much larger audience than it did, but it did come in number two on the weekend that it was released. It has an $8.5 million budget, and it managed to make $32.2 million, and, like I said, come in number two for the first weekend that it was released. It's also kind of accredited to be the reason why vampires became more popular and that's primarily because this is the first time or one of the first times that vampires were viewed uh, as kind of sexy and younger right using people like alex winters and Kiefer sutherland to actually be the main vampires rather than being like the older like you know ragged or you know kind of like mid-40s or or later type of vampires that was commonly seen in cinema 
for quite some time. You know, the vampire is always the old, really living for a long time. And so he's got to be a much older guy. He's not necessarily going to be the sexy dude in his 20s, right? You're not going to see Kiefer Sutherland. Um, well, okay. Maybe he was the sexy guy. And I know you use Alex Winters as it as well. But really, and man, the hair in this film, I swear to God. We'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a bit. But it just... It wasn't something that you saw normally, right? And uh, it also marked the first time, actually, that Corey Haim and Corey Feldman acted together in a film. And then, you know, it would be the Corys from here on out. A couple of the things I want to just really quickly talk about before we get into the thing. Uh, there was the sign of the murder capital uh, for the city of Santa Carla. And that was actually something that was really hung up in Santa Cruz. Uh, and the Santa Cruz City Council, because there was like a murder spree in the 1970s, and the council wasn't very keen on having that thing held up or put back up there, but eventually they did it cave, and, you know, it was there just for the duration of the film. And two last things before we start the film. The stage that was used for the sexy sax man that we're going to talk about when it comes up, uh, that actually was destroyed in the Loma Prieta earthquake, and then it was rebuilt later on in the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Still has a summer concert series. Well, they didn't this year, but normally they have the nights at the boardwalk, which are actually really cool to go down to because it's really it's on the beach, and you you tend to get like old like seventies and eighties bands that play out there. Um, like you'll see Night Ranger come through every now and then, or uh, I think Tesla has played there a couple of times, uh, and YYNT has played there a couple of times. It's it's really cool, honestly, to see the music on the beach and to kind of get down and do that stuff. Uh, so hey, more power to you if you love those bands. I'm pretty sure that Smash Mouth will be there someday if they haven't been there already. I think even the Gin Blossoms played on that stage. And I think they played on that stage when I was down there. Huh. But nonetheless, they still screened the film also at the beginning of every summer um, down there at the Santa Cruz Beach Warbock, as well as, like I said, up on campus. They may have stopped it at Stevenson since, you know, I went to school there so fucking long ago. But I really hope that they keep like a tradition like that alive because honestly, it was one of the coolest things that you go out there, you sit, you watch the movie, and you can see everything in the distance. It's it's something that I've never had an experience with any other movie since seeing this film. So the personal ties, it just ties me back to that time, right? I, that I really did cherish and the people that I met then, you know, always been great to me and uh you know it's it still makes me love this film you know even more every time i watch it so let's go ahead and just get started with the film because because otherwise i'm going to talk another 30 minutes of bullshit <laughs> as we continue everything on so the movie itself begins on the santa cruz beach boardwalk and we go over to the very famous like merry-go-round that's there and we get to see the Big Dipper. It's still so fucking nostalgic. If you're ever in California and you have the chance to go down to Santa Cruz and to see this boardwalk, you need to go. This is like one of the places that, again, I have so many great memories. Not just of it as when I was a college student, but also when I was much younger as well. My parents would take us down there and seeing goddamn commercials all the time on the TV about the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. 
And they'd always play the goddamn Beach Boys for their fucking commercial whenever it would come out. Gonna go on out west where I belong. Do, 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 It's just, like, come on. I get it, you know. And my dad loved it because my dad was a huge fucking Beach Boy fan and he still fucking is. But it's just, like, it's so ingrained in me that this place. And it's funny, too, because while watching this movie again... You know, just to get everything that I need to get ready, because I probably could go through this movie without all the fucking noises and everything. Uh, but my wife then, she's like, oh yeah, she's like, I've seen this before. And then she's like, you know, I've never been on the Big Dipper. And I was like, what? What do you mean you've never been on the Big Dipper? Like, everybody's gone on the Big Dipper. But no, that roller coaster, for some fucking reason, she'll do all these other ones, which are way higher, way more fucking dangerous. Like, you could lose a fucking limb doing it, or, you know, if you're stupid enough to try to go after your cap, somebody's gonna kick you in the fucking head and you're gonna die from being over on the other side of the fucking fence. Like, that one she has been afraid of for the longest time. I'm just like, it's one of the most simple fucking roller coasters there is. In fact, I think it's probably my first roller coaster. And yeah, when I was little, I was fucking afraid of it. But come on, that thing is just because maybe it's raised up. But it's one of the coolest fucking experiences. Uh, and it hurts a lot, to be honest. Because it's an old fucking wooden co- roller coaster, right? And those really old wooden roller coasters uh, are not very fucking comfortable. Especially back in like the early 90s. Uh, or late 90s, I guess, when I wrote it again when I went to college. Because they had a really cool, like... You know, student takeover at the beginning of every year where you could just spend like, I think it was like 20 bucks and limited ride pass and go do all the crazy stuff. But I'm getting ahead of myself here and getting all fucking nostalgic for college, so I better fucking stop. So we see that, you know, we get to see Queefer Sutherland for the very first time. And he's there scoping out some people and we see a security guard say, hey, you know, you need to back off because they kind of get in a fight with one of the guys there. And, you know, then we see, we cut over, and that merry-go-round is so much fucking fun, too. It's not just because it's just a merry-go-round, okay? But there's one section in the merry-go-round where, like, rings pop out, and you can grab a bunch of rings, and then you can just fucking whip them, and you're trying to get them on top and, and onto these little spokes, Right, as you go by, and it's, I don't know, it's really fucking fun. I don't know if you win anything from, because I can never fucking get one on there. And people would just fucking whip them so goddamn fast. But it's still a lot of fun, and you don't think about that when you're on the fucking, you know, merry-go-round, that, hey, you're going to do something else except for go around. And you had to be on the right horse, because certain ones wouldn't, at that point, get up to the point where you could grab the rings. Again, I'm getting too fucking nostalgic, but I love the fucking Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. You do not fucking understand. Except for the beach part. The beach part is fucking disgusting. If you want to go to a nice beach in Santa Cruz, go down to Natural Bridges, or go out on Highway 1 just a little bit, and there's some, like, beaches in alcoves that nobody goes to because it's hard to get down there, but then the beaches are white, clean, and absolutely fucking beautiful. Uh, Nonetheless, (laughs) I digress in what I'm saying. So the security guard comes over and says, hey, stop fighting. And then we cut over from the merry-go-round and we go into the parking lot of the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and we see him walking back to his car and we're now in Vampire View, right? So we know that something's going on. Something's chasing the poor fat security guard. That totally sucks. Couldn't it have been like a tall, skinny guy that just had lanky legs and couldn't fucking run? But no, it has to be pudgy motherfucker over here. Man, oh, oh, I can't get to my car fast enough. Oh, it's just a little bit too much for me. 
So Pudgy McPudgeon stuff's over here. He finally gets to his car and he tries to open it up. And I had to remind myself that this is a 1980s vehicle where he's got to try to get the keys in and stuff instead of just opening the fucking door. Because I'm so used to cars nowadays. It's so stupid. And I can't believe how dumb I'm being at the scene. Like, it should just open right away, right? No, he's got to put the key in it. He's got to unlock the goddamn door. And he can't do it fast enough. And eventually he gets drifted up into the air. And we're just left with an empty parking lot it fades over to the next morning and that's where we get to meet our main three characters of the film well i would say main two and the mom gosh you guys are rough it's pain discomfort no. manipulation oh no oh, oh wait 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 that's from my hair grooving on a sunday afternoon Hey, we're almost there. What was that smell? Ah, that's the ocean air. Smells like someone died. Aw, honey, look, guys, I know the last year hasn't been easy, but I think you're really going to like living in Santa Carla. So, here we go. Now we're in Santa Carla, California. And as we drive by, like I said earlier, there's the sign that says the murder capital of the world, uh, which was real until, you know, the late or the guess the, the end of the 70s, sometime around there. I didn't really get a, an exact date on that one. But we see Michael, who's the older of them. And I guess he's supposed to be in high school, even though he looks like he's 30. And then you have Corey Haim, who plays Sam, who is the main boy of the film. And they're driving in because they've just driven in from Arizona. And it's weird, because where they're driving in from is not the way that you would get into Santa Cruz. Now, I know this isn't just me fucking nitpicking, but if you're coming from Arizona, unless you went from Arizona to Nevada, then you went to Oregon, and then you came fucking down... From the top, or even just from Nevada going up to like Reno and then coming down, this is not how you'd get in there. The only other way that you would get in there is if you went up to fucking San Francisco or at least into the Bay Area because they're coming down Highway 1, right? That is literally like the the shot that you see as you're entering into Santa Cruz and the aerial shot that you're seeing at the beginning of the film is Highway 1 going towards the boardwalk. If you're coming from Arizona, you're coming up from Southern California, and if you're coming that way and you're you're doing Highway 1-2, you're actually going to come up through like Capitola and SoCal instead of coming into, you know, Santa Cruz proper just like that. So it's, it's a big nitpick here, but they're not coming in the correct way. It's stupid, I know, but it kind of pissed me off, to be honest with you. So... Yeah, call me an idiot, call me whatever you want, call me Ishmael if you, I don't forgive a fuck, but here they are coming into town, and then we get really cool shots of the Santa Cruz area, and the thing about Santa Cruz, and and I say cool shots because it makes me nostalgic once again, but at the same time, you kind of get the weirdness of what Santa Cruz is, right, spending five years down there, it's really crazy, you know, and I only went kind of came back, I think, two years, and then for three years, I stayed down there the entire time. And it's like, the best way to talk about Santa Cruz, and this might turn people off, is it's like Berkeley Light, right? 
it's not it's like got the crunchy hippie nature but it's not as extreme with the people that are there now has it gotten a little more uh that way over the years i guess that's the best way for me to say it probably but when i was living there like it still was like it's a regular town it has its bad parts it has its good parts but it's still kind of crunchy nature and it really enjoys being weird that's the the great thing that that i really enjoyed about being down there and this really kind of shows it because it gives you these great shots of all these different types of people that are in the santa cruz area but of course this is santa carla so it's meant for you to feel like, oh, hey, this is kind of like a bad place, uh, or this is kind of a, a strange, like there's a bunch of punk kids and stuff, but it's really not that way. It's just a good amalgamation of all different types of people, and I fucking love being there. So you have them driving in, and eventually they get over to her dad's house, who, and the mom is played by Diane Weist. And I really don't have a firm grasp on the movies that she was in. She was in The Birdcage, which I kind of remember. She was also in Parenthood, Edward Scissorhands back in the day, uh, Hannah and Her Sisters, Footloose. She was in a bunch of stuff. But, you know, the name I know has been used for comedy in a lot of things that I've watched, and her name's popped up, and that's probably, it's probably like an Animaniacs type of thing. Like, they mentioned Diane Weist at some time, and it was like, oh, okay, ha, 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 who the fuck is Diane Weist? You know, it's kind of like the girl that plays Star is uh, Jamie Gertz, and Jamie Gertz was also a big thing in the 80s. She was like a teen heartthrob for a bunch of movies, um, I guess, Teen Hearthrob is kind of, I guess, the weird way to say it, because they usually don't mention uh, ladies as being a heartthrob. It's usually the men that are heartthrob, but I guess you could kind of say it that way, so fuck it, I'm going to say it that way. But I really can't pinpoint her also in a bunch of other movies. Now, Keith or Sutherland, I totally can p- picture him in a bunch of shit, and, you know, for me, he was a big thing of 24. Uh, of course, you know, the Corys and everything like that, um... And then there's a couple other people in this movie that have done a lot more stuff. Michael, played by Jason Patrick. And, of course, you know Jason Patrick from things like Speed 2, (laughs) The Losers, and Sleepers, uh, as well as a bunch of... He's been in a bunch of stuff recently. It's weird that you have to say, like, Speed 2. And it's weird when you think about it, because here he's got the whole 80s glam hair, and Speed 2, he's just terrible. So... (laughs) It's it's just the way that it goes. How are you going to have speed on a boat? Okay? That doesn't make any sense. Willem Dafoe is the only thing that's a good thing. And if I ever did things on bad action movies again, Speed 2 probably should be in that fucking list. But nonetheless, let's continue. So, they've made it now after they've driven all this way. And they're probably in more like the Scotts Valley area of, like the location because it seems like it's far away from the town or they could be up on the hill in santa cruz they could be in that one little farm that you see there at ucsc as you're driving up it's it's a possibility but i don't fucking know and that's where they see their you know their grandpa or her dad and he's just kind of laying out and well i guess he's pretending to be dead and we learn a little more of the reason that they're moving back in with good old grandpappy dad dad Looks like he's dead. No, he's just a deep sleeper. If he's dead, can we go back to Phoenix? Playing dead. And from what I heard, doing a damn good job of it, too. <laughs> dead! Oh, dead. Oh, 
This is a pretty cool place. Here for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Come on, Sam, give Mama a break. What's wrong with this picture? There's no TV. Have you seen a TV? I haven't seen a TV, Mike. You know what it means when there's no TV? No MTV. Sammy, we're flat broke. Lucy, you're the only woman I ever knew didn't improve her situation by getting divorced. Yeah, I know. But a big legal battle wasn't going to improve anybody's situation. You know, Dad, we've all been through enough. You know, anyway, I was raised better than that. Hey, ouch! My hair! Okay, so there's a couple of things that are going on this scene that kind of drive me nuts. Uh, the first, because... This was the MTV generation, right? This is 87. This is when it's really kind of hitting its peak of popularity, or at least its biggest growth spurt in kind of my eyes. It's where I even started fucking like noticing it and being able to watch a bunch of really cool 80s music videos, you know, that were out there from, you know, Genesis and Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, all those fun things. Though a lot of that probably was more into the 90s where I really, really, because of grunge, started paying attention to everything that was going on. Um, but, like, you know how much money you need back in that day to, like, have cable to be able to watch fucking MTV? And, like, you know, Sam here, played by Corey Haim, uh, is absolutely fucking terrible. He's just a terrible fucking kid. He's like, you know, you see all this stuff out here, and it's all fucking woodsy. It means no fucking TV, which means no MTV. Fuck you. You're li- lucky that you've got a place to fucking live. Especially when her the mom, Lucy, says that she didn't want to go through an expensive court battle to get anything out of their father. Like, she's recently divorced, and she's not able to get any type of money out of the dad. He's not even paying fucking child support. How bad was your fucking lawyer? Or how, like, nice are you to be like, okay, you know what? We can get divorced. You can give me no fucking money. I'll take the fucking kids, and then I'll go and live in poverty and move in with my dad. You don't have to do shit. And, oh, I just didn't want a... Like, it sets up the character. And, honestly, the mom is the most annoying fucking thing in the movie. Because she's just so fucking gullible and dumb. Like, this is nothing against anything else. It's literally, like, you need to fight for your kids. Okay, you don't have the money, but you know what? If you win, you can have him pay fucking court costs. And even then, as it is now... The mom tends to get preferential treatment, and this is not me, like, taking a stance. This is just what I've experienced with friends, and it it really is fucking frustrating for you to see that she didn't even fucking try for her kids, you know, to have anything, and so she's moving back. I get it. Her dad's at least nice enough to take them all in. But she's got a little fucking prick of Sam over here that's more worried about his fucking MTV rather than his mom getting along okay. And she's just... She's just too fucking nice. Maybe that's what it is. It's just... I'd probably be in the same fucking situation. Maybe I see myself as her. And maybe that's what's really good. Because I just be like, okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, it's a vampire and he wants to date me? No, sure. I'll date a vampire. It's gonna be Okay. Don't worry about it. And also, Grandpa, he doesn't seem like... Well, he kind of does seem like he's disappointed in her. But you know what? It's his daughter. Everything's going to be okay. So the boys are now running around the house. Also, Michael is carrying his, like, 
his bar and his weights. Like, he's just... And he's got all the fucking, like, clothes on their hangers attached to it as he goes in. And then what does he do? Once he gets into the kitchen, he starts fucking lifting. I'm sure the angry dad would be very fucking proud of Michael right here. Because, you know, you gotta give yourself to the gains no matter when you need to give yourself to the gains. Even if you've just moved into a new town that happens to be the murder capital of the world. So... Get those reps in, Michael. Make sure you get those reps in. It's just, it just seems so ridiculous. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, the whole one-ear earring thing is like a big thing in this movie. And it's it's weird because I don't know if they're meaning to do something about that. They're, <laughs> it, it really relates back to Joel Schumacher, okay? And if you knew what that meant, at least back in the 80s and even in the 90s, like... There were a lot of people with what they thought that having only one earring in one ear meant. And I don't remember which ear it was. Then maybe that's a subliminal message or something that's going on. Definitely the posters that end up in fucking Sam's room definitely are a subliminal message of what's fucking going on too. And it just seems kind of ridiculous to be honest with you. So they basically start horse playing around the house. You know, Michael's chasing Sam around and eventually they get to a door and they open it up and they see a bunch of antler ears foreshadowing for later. And also a bunch of taxidermy stuff that grandpa does. And of course, both of them are just like, okay, that's, that's kind of odd. And grandpa comes in the house and says, Hey, don't go in there. And that's where Michael has to ask the question of, you know, is it true that this is the murder capital of the world? Grandpa, is it true that uh, Santa Carla is the murder capital of the world? Well, there's some bad elements around here. Wait a second, let me get this straight. Are you telling me that we moved to the murder capital of the world? Are you serious, Grandpa? Well, now let me put it this way. If all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once, we'd have one hell of a population problem. Great, Dad. Now, on Wednesdays, when the mailman brings a TV guide, sometimes the address label is curled up just a little like that. Now, he'll be tempted to tear it off. Don't. You'll only wind up ripping the cover, and I don't like that. And stay out of here. Wait, wait. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. You don't need a TV. So Grandpa's got fucking jokes for days here. It's it's pretty funny because before then he too gives them a couple of the rules of don't go in here. And the other thing is that this is grandpa's part of the fridge where he keeps his root beer uh, and fucking Oreos. Who puts Oreos in the fucking fridge? Like, if anything, put them in the fucking freezer. That way they're like nice and frozen. Especially the Oreo in the center, the, the goo, the white stuff. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But it's nice and hard. Okay, that that sounds terrible too, but it's kind of cool and relaxing when it goes, okay, I'm not going to finish that fucking sentence, but nonetheless, it's just weird. He's like, I keep my double stuffed Oreos in here and my root beer. And it's like, sure, sure, grandpa, root beer. And you also see in the kitchen, grandpa goes, like, grows pot. He's just got his marijuana plant sitting outside the window and Michael does the universal sign of, oh, grandpa stokes grass all the time. Uh, and then you've got the whole thing with the TV guide and how nonchalant he is too. He's like, yep, it sure was. And you know, 
the bodies here, if, you, if they all rose up from the dead, we'd be in fucking trouble. Which is a problem for later in the movie. He, he knows what's been going on, and I don't want to ruin it if you've never seen it. And I really should have said this earlier, and I'll say this right now, and I'm sorry I didn't mention it earlier in the podcast, but if you haven't seen this movie, you should watch this movie first. Not because it's, uh, you know, it, it, there's a big fucking twist or anything in it, but because it's fucking enjoyable. But nonetheless, you don't necessarily need to if you don't didn't want to. So, again, you know, if you know what happens at the end of the movie, it's weird that he, what he's saying right here. Uh, also, then, you know, the whole thing with the magazine, he's just... Look, Grandpa's that crazy, kooky, quirky guy. He's got the bandana around his forehead. He's got the long head of hair, but he's got the giant bald spot on top. He's just an aging fucking hippie. Like he's fucking George Carlin over here or something like that. He's going to give us all sorts of life lessons through his comedy. But, you know, actually, Grandpa kind of is a cool character in the film. I'm not going to lie about that. So, from here, we fade over into night. And now we're at the beach, at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. And the concert is going on. The concert. Okay, this is the part of the movie that everybody... Even if you don't remember anything about this movie, you don't remember absolutely a single plot point, uh, a character name, a location that's going on. You don't remember the the scene that's coming up later with Michael and and David in, in the cave for the very first time. You remember none of that. You remember the goddamn sexy sax man that's here. It is so ridiculous. If I never knew... That Joel Schumacher, and rest in in power, Joel Schumacher, this is probably my favorite film of yours that you've ever fucking did, right? And if you never knew that he was a gay man, okay, you knew it from this fucking scene. This was the scene, okay, to have this muscle-bound, chain-wearing, and not like gold chain or like... You know, just jewelry. Like a fucking, like, steel, like, link chain around his fucking neck. Fucking pumping his chest and moving out. And wearing skimpy, like, skin-tight fucking jeans. In fact, I think he's probably wearing a kilt and nothing else underneath there. With his goddamn saxophone in fucking hand. And doing the song, I have to play. I have to play just at least 30 seconds of the fucking song. Just imagine. Imagine again. The sax man playing and this song going on while he's playing. Like, it's, it's such a fucking catchy fucking song. I don't get it. It's been stuck in my head ever since I rewatched this movie for the goddamn podcast. And it's going to be stuck in my head for another two fucking weeks. It's like last Sunday in the first weekend of fucking football for this year. And they played that fucking Return of the Mac and that damn commercial. And the whole weekend is, Return of the Mac. Return of the Mac. Return. God damn it. Get out of my fucking head. I still believe. 
okay, it sounds like I got a dying fucking cat. I need to fix this fucking saxophone over here or some shit. But it's so fucking ridiculous. But it's like kind of cool at the same time because it's so goddamn funny. But there are people in the audience losing their fucking mind. There are fucking, like, fires everywhere on this goddamn beach. They have all these trash cans that have the fires. It's like you're at a fucking Pantera show. People have torn off their fucking shirts. They've somehow smuggled lighter fluid, or they're using the lighter fluid in their lighters to make little bonfires all over the place out of shirts and shoes and people's pants and shit. And they're dancing and moshing around that shit, you know, throwing people, and they're headbanging. And this song is like... Such a modern 80s fucking song with, like, horns and keyboards and shit. No fucking crunch guitar. How are you headbanging that hard to that hard fucking body that's up on stage? Oil fucking glistening all over the goddamn place. A mullet for fucking years, okay? And it's not just, like, a mullet mullet, because King of the Mullets is somebody else in this fucking movie. But this is, like, a mullet ponytail fucking hybrid. In fact, it's probably what I look like when I pull my ponytail, like, high up. That's terrible. (laughs) Maybe I should rethink my hair. (laughs) At least while putting it up. But he's up there still. He's up there, like, dancing like crazy and, and fucking, like, pointing his fingers and the mouth is not necessarily going to the music so you can tell he's not really fucking singing. But that song is still fucking catchy, man. Like, that's why I had to play a piece of it for this fucking thing. But I just... It blows my mind that people are going that fucking batshit crazy for this this guy and this band and then it's, like, heavy rock and shit. Meanwhile, Michael, he's not so much rocking out like Sam is. And Sam is kind of, like, stuck in the middle of everybody. And they're really trying to enjoy the whole, you know, Santa Cruz nightlife, of Santa Carla nightlife, uh, over there on the boardwalk. And meanwhile, Mom's walking around looking at places and looking for a job at this time of night. But something catches Michael's eye, and that happens to be Star. And that's Amy Gertz back there looking as beautiful as ever. And he just cannot take his eyes off her, and she can't take her eyes off of him. And so he decides to go after and try to follow after her. And of course, Sam follows suit. From here, we change over to Lucy. And Lucy, she's found a child who's all by himself. And she decides to do the good thing and go into the video store that's there. And that's where we meet Max. And we see the Lost Boys once again, the whole crew, Queefer's crew over there. And, of course, there's a little bit of a confrontation between Max and them. And then there's a little bit of luck for Lucy as well. Excuse me. I I wonder if you could help us. This little boy is lost, and we were wondering if his mother might be in here. I don't really know. Oh, how great. Don't run off. There you are. Thank you. Bye, Terry. I really come here to watch one thing. Well done. No, thanks. Well, second thought. I told you not to come in here anymore. Wild kids. Oh, they're just young. We were that age, too, once. They dress better. (laughs) Bye-bye. You have a generous nature. I like that in a person. 
My name's Max. I'm Lucy. How are you? Hello. Uh, that's my dog, Thorn. Hi, Thorn. Say hello, Thorn. Well, how may I help you this evening? We have it all. The best selection of videotapes in Santa Carla. No, actually, I'm not looking for a tape. What I need uh, is... Uh, a job? It's a job. Yeah, I look that needy, huh? So, right on the spot, Max gives her a job. No questions asked. It's not weird or anything like that. You can obviously tell that he's kind of flirting with her, but, you know, he is, well, he is who he is, and it's kind of kind of like a weird little thing that's uh, that's going on there between the two of them, but he's generally a nice guy who's got a nice dog who hangs out in a video store. It's weird that the dog's there, right? Like, even for the boardwalk, and even for Santa Cruz, Santa Carla, uh, it's still a little weird to have a dog hanging out in a shop, but if it's his shop, who gives a fuck? I guess he can have his dog wherever the fuck he wants to have his dog. Am I right? And then, you know, I'm right. So, from here we go back over and we see that Michael and Sam are walking around as Michael's trying to fucking chase after Star some more because he wants to get a piece of that fucking action. And, you know, Sam's just not having, he's like, look, I'm not going to follow you and your fucking desire to go after your sex capades or whatever it is. And it's funny because, honestly, I, I guess Michael, even though he looks like he's fucking 35 in this movie, he's supposed to be a high schooler, like maybe late teens, maybe 17, maybe he's 18, and he's just going to finish up or something like that. But Sam really kind of looks like he's maybe 10, 11. Corey Haim looks extremely young in this movie. And for him to really be talking about, oh, you're just out to get... I'm not going to be involved in your fucking sex capades. Like, it's weird. But it is what it is. He could be older. He could be like 13, 14. And I guess everybody at that point is pretty up to knowledge on what the fuck sex is and going after other women and shit like that. And so Michael asks him, don't you have something better to do? And of course, that's where he sees the comic book shop, which happens to be on the boardwalk as well. Now, I can tell you that there are some shops, but they're not really these type of shops in the way that they're laid out down there. But you could, maybe at this time, there were more of these. There's one building where there is like a giant, like, uh, mini golf, like pirate-themed mini golf uh, place that's inside the whole building and maybe that could have been a place for stores and shit earlier but this seems a little bit out of place honestly for the boardwalk but it may have been also before my time so i don't fucking know we just fucking go with it so he goes in there because he's so excited about seeing the comic book place and that's where we get to meet the frog brothers for the very first time in the film got a problem guys just scope in your civilian wardrobe pretty cool huh or a fashion victim. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from? Krypton? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we moved here. Take this. I don't like horror comics. You like this one, Mr. Phoenix. Well, it could save your life. 
So the big thing of like rumble bumble that was happening during that scene is that there was a robbery at the front of the store and they just stole shitty fucking comics. Because any comic book shop knows that you put the really good stuff towards the back, the big sellers, so that people have to come way in there and see the books. And then if they're trying to do a, like a grab and dash, it's really the bullshit inventory. Like over here at one of our local comic book stores, the stuff that's really close to the exit is all of like the kid comics, the stuff that nobody fucking wants, the stuff that my grandfather used to buy for me. You know, you got your DuckTales, you got your Mickey Mouse, you got maybe, you know, maybe there's a Simpsons comic in there somewhere or a Futurama or something. Things that aren't like the big draw. You don't have your DCs. You don't have your Marvels. So that's why the Frog Brothers, who are supposed to be these like badass whatever they're trying to fucking put themselves as, they don't give a shit when stuff gets stolen. They don't even run after them. They don't do anything. All they are interested in doing is giving Sam a fucking vampire comic. That's it. And honestly, the Frog Brothers, they're the take it or leave it people in the movie for most people right i'm i'm not going to give you my opinion right now but i think for some either you like them in the way they do this stuff and you like the way that cory feldman did the role you know he's a kid uh or you don't like it at all and you're just like uh this kind of turns me off from everything else like when they're on the screen it's terrible you know i can see both ways but well, we'll kind of go into it maybe a little later in the podcast, not necessarily right now. So they give him the comic book, right? And then he he leaves, and we cut over, and we see that there's the couple that stole the comic book sitting on the ledge, looking out over the Santa Cruz Bay. Man, it's fucking beautiful. I I love shots in this movie, especially the shots of fucking Santa Cruz. Because honestly, if you if you come to California, that's one of the places everybody says. Go to San Francisco. See San Francisco. San Francisco is beautiful. You know, a lot of people around here will say San Francisco is beautiful, but it's also fucking dirty. But, and especially if you're trying to go along the coastline or go see a beach or anything like that, don't go there. Go to fucking Santa Cruz. You know, and and don't, you know, you're listening to this, and I'm not trying to give away, like, anything, but honestly, it's just go along the coastline. Just go a little bit outside of Santa Cruz. To the north, on Highway 1, and there's some spots where you can pull off and park. And if you can do that, then walk to the beach from there. And you'll get some of the best beaches in the world. And you got natural bridges, which is all, like, natural bridges kind of connected to each other that do go down to the beach. But there's a lot of little, like, uh, like little pools of water that have all different types of marine life in there. Not Nothing really big, but you get, like, urchins and little things that, like, sea pods, I guess you can say. I don't know exactly the, the name for it uh, because I'm dumb. But <laughs> nonetheless, so they're looking out over the ocean and dude number one here, he's trying and I guess he's supposed to be a, a Nazi street punk. That's what it is in the credits. I don't see it, but I guess that's the way it is. And I'm kind of okay with him dying if that's what's happening in the scene. Uh, but <laughs> so they're looking at the dude. He's trying to get frisky with the lady because... Honestly, this is probably like a make-out point or something. But no, she's laughing at her fucking, like, Archie comics that they stole. Or whatever piece of shit comic that was at the front of the store. And he's, like, trying to get some. She's like, no, I'm reading my comic book. Blah, blah, blah. 
And then all of a sudden the roof tears off and they both get attacked by something. You don't know what it is, but you do know what it is at the same time. From here we cut over to the next day and we see that Sam and Grandpa, they're getting ready to go into town. And of course, once again, Grandpa here, he's got some jokes. Well, how do you like that baby, huh? It's beauty. Come on, let's get in. Wait, can I drive on the way back? Yeah, fat chance. Somebody drives this baby but me. Yeah. Got a little warm up a little. Yeah. Hear that, Sam? Just like a baby pussycat. Okay, let's go to town. Well, we having fun or what? I thought we were going to town. Uh, that's as close to town as I like to get. Ha ha, Grandpa's a weirdo, doesn't like to be out there, and he likes to be <laughs> as seclusive as possible. It, it's, okay, it's kind of funny. I, I do enjoy the joke here, and but it's really dumb at the same time. I do like the look on Corey Haim's face, Sam's face here, when he's like, he's all ready, and then all of a sudden, all right, that's it. Like, I thought we were going to town. Nope, don't like to go there. Bye. That's it. Grandpa is straight up comic relief for the rest of the movie. And it, for the most part, it's pretty goddamn good. And even as dumb as the scene is, it still makes me fucking laugh when I watch it. We then go ahead and cut to Sam, since he's not going to downtown with fucking Grandpa. And it's weird, because downtown in this movie is like going to the boardwalk, right? There's a whole other section. Actually, downtown's probably a good 15 to 20 minutes of walking uh comparatively to get to the actual beach right and downtown is is great there's a bunch of stuff that's down there there's really cool theater i don't know if they've done any type of things but it was almost brand new when i went down there and there's a lot of really cool shops even though they built some big things i remember when barnes and noble came in there everybody's like oh the world's gonna end because barnes and noble is here and then everybody was like oh nobody really buys books anymore and it really sucks yeah Go buy books. Go buy a book from your favorite author. Go do it now. I'll pause this podcast. Go buy a book. Don't go to fucking Barnes & Noble, though. Go buy it directly from the author. That place was always so fucking expensive. Like, especially if you wanted to go get a movie. Like, you just go to Streetlight Records. Place is so much cooler. And you can get a lot of used movies and new movies for a lot cheaper than you can get it from fucking Barnes & Noble. Or there was, I think there was a Tower Records, too, wasn't there? A lot of shit in fucking downtown Santa Cruz. And there's a lot of great places to fucking eat too. But this just seems like one giant fucking ad for Santa Cruz, California. Which it probably is. So, (laughs) we see that Sam, now he's gone back down. And he's gone back to the, you know, the comic book store. And I didn't say earlier that Sam seems like such a huge comic book nerd. And honestly, he doesn't look like he dresses like he's from Arizona. I'm pretty sure that Beyond the Void, they could tell me how people dress in Arizona, but it's probably not like this. He looks like he's straight out of fucking Miami Vice. Like, when he was down there, he's got, like, the white suit coat, he's got the fucking scarf, he's got the fucking open piece of the the, the, the button-up shirt that he seems that he's got over there. It's got all those wacky, wild, 80s-style colors and triangles and circles and bullshit there. It's... It's fucking ridiculous. It really doesn't... It looks like it's Southern California, like Hollywood style. Like somebody you think, fuck, how do they dress in Arizona? Okay, how do they not dress in Arizona? That's exactly how we need to do it. Like they just threw a fucking dart at a fucking fashion catalog and said, 
that kind of matches, that kind of matches, that kind of matches, and we're just going to put it all together for him. So it looks like he's out of fucking place. You really should have called the fashion police on him, because he would have been fucking arrested for wearing that fucking atrocity. But, nonetheless, he's back inside the store, and we get another type of interaction there with the Frog Brothers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Right. Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. Think of it more as a survival manual. There's a number on the back. And pray that you never need to call us. I'll pray I never need to call you. Sure. Okay, so, again, I feel like they would be a little more pissed off about him coming in this time and being such a smartass about how the way the comics are fucking organized. And the parents, whoever their fucking parents are, like, they're the epitome of, like what 80s people became because the parents were such fucking hippies, right? A lot of people, they they say that because there was such free love in the 60s and all that stuff, that caused them to have much more, you know, business-oriented and, you know, I guess you could say conservative people as we got into the 80s, and that's why the 80s was all about big business and not necessarily about, like, free love or whatever the fuck you want to talk about. Or not being a hippie, not being fucking crunchy. And their parents are fucking crunchy. Like, they're passed out in the fucking corner once again. TV's just fucking on, and the Frog Brothers here, they're just running the whole fucking store and passing out pamphlets about fucking vampires with their phone number on the back. And the parents just don't seem to fucking care because they're just fucking baked out of their mind in the fucking corner just sleeping. It's just, it's weird, you know? Especially the way that they kind of go. But... Of course, you know, they have this inclination like he doesn't know that things are weird. And here you go. I'm going to give you this horror comic, which honestly, he should have given them some uh, issues of Creep Show right there. And that would have at least given them some type of cred rather than a comic that has their phone number on the back of it for some reason. So does that mean that they drew the comic? That's the only thing I can kind of get out of it, right? Like, they're the ones that actually had to produce this piece of shit, or this survival guide, or whatever. So they're the ones making the rules, which means that... Is it good advice? Is it bad advice? Don't fucking know. But I guess we're gonna have to fucking find out. And I love how they get all fucking G.I. fucking Joe on us towards the end of the one. They're killing vampires for truth, justice, and the American way. Oh yeah, baby. It's fucking on. Yeah. So, now he's got some type of ammunition, I guess, or some type of survival guide that he's got. And we cut tonight. And we see that Michael, he's out there walking the boardwalk because he wants to make sure and he can go out and score some of that vampire poo nanny. Hi. If you want your air pierced, I'll do it. What's your name? Star. Oh, you folks too, huh? What do you mean? 
Ex-hippies. I came this close to being called Moonbeam or Moonchild. Something like that. But Star's great. I like Star. Me too. I'm Michael. Mike. Michael's great. I like Michael. Want to get something to eat? Okay. Where are you going, Star? For a ride. This is Michael. Let's go. Star. <laughs> you know where Hudson's Bluff is overlooking the point? I can't beat your bike. You don't have to beat me, Michael. You just have to try and keep up. So we're kind of under the impression here that Star is kind of with David, right? That he's the leader of this motorcycle like gang, whatever you want to call it, that contains, you know, three other dudes that all have terrible 80s hair. I hate the hair in the 80s on guys. Like, especially with people when they're trying to give them long hair, because everything is fucking poofed up. Like, it was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make you, you guys are rockers, right? We're going to prove that you're punk and metal by making your hair stand up to Marge Simpson sized levels and still being really fucking long. Because you have one of two ways. You either have the 80s metal hair, which is what, you know, Alex Winter and Brooke McCarter and Billy Worth, they all have that type of hair. You know, they just raised up to exponential levels, put a shit ton of fucking hairspray on there probably killed you know like 10 layers of fucking ozone just for this fucking movie and then you have david who is the leader who is queef for sutherland and he has the mullet and that's the other hairstyle that you got in the 80s and it's not just this is the most perfect mullet i've fucking seen in anybody in one of these types of movies it is just like it is all business in the front when you look at him straight, and then it's complete party in the back, man. It's just perfectly layered. It's nice and buzzed on the side. It's got good height to it. It is, if you are a mullet hunter, and you're looking at the perfect mullet from the 80s, that is on Queefer right here. He is the one that has the perfect mullet in this movie. And it's just fucking ridiculous. Like, you can kind of say that Alex Winter's vampire character, he may have a mullet, but it's not because it's teased up too fucking high and it's too fucking curly, man. You can't have a curly fucking mullet. It's like if you were to look at me. I'm blessed and some would say cursed with Puerto Rican hair. Man, that is curly as fuck. It works for my sister because she's got curls tighter than a pig's fucking tail in the middle of his fucking behind. I mean, it is just curly as fuck. People would die for her fucking hair because of that fucking Puerto Rican hair. My hair, the ends of it get really wavy and curly if I don't put anything in it. And now it's been weighed down so much that I've got a little more of the white guy hair, straight hair kind of going on. But I've got some type of curls that are at the end. Not at the top, okay? So I could probably pull off a decent mullet. But I'd have to figure a way to keep everything fucking straight. I don't really need to pull off a mullet. I'm just saying that I could. Uh, but, I don't know. 
Mexican guys with mullets. Does that really work? I guess it would be like part of my white heritage or something like that to put that on. But nonetheless, so they're here. You see him like trying to hit hard on Star. And then all of a sudden he's like, nope, you need to come with me. And we're going to go out to the bluffs over here. And so that begins like the chicken race to end all chicken races. And, well, game of chicken, chicken race, that sounds so terrible. It's like they're going to just grab two roosters and just go, run. And if you can make it to the end, I'm turning him into a vampire. That's the way these things are going to roll. And so they drive along, and eventually David grabs onto the handlebar of Michael's little shitty fucking dirt bike, where they've got some nice little, well, they're not that nice bikes. They're like the cheapest knockoff Harleys that you could ever get. Maybe they're more like knockoff Kawasaki's than they are fucking Harleys, because you don't really sit back on them. But, of course, you know, they get to the end, and eventually... He, he tries to run him off the cliff into the ocean, but he's able to stop before it gets there. And, of course, that causes Michael to act like a fucking ass and try to beat the shit out of David. What the hell are you doing, huh? No! Just you! Come on! Just you! Come on. Just you. How far are you willing to go, Michael? Not bad, huh? This was the hottest resort in Santa Carla about 85 years ago. Too bad they built it on the fault. In 1906, when the big one hit San Francisco, the ground opened up, this place took a header right into the crack. So now it's ours. So check it out, Mikey. <laughs> Marco? Food. That's what I love about this place. You ask, and then you get. Thank you. Yeah. Appetizer. And his appetizer happens to be a cigarette. Now, I think it's supposed to be weed, okay? I think it's supposed to be a joint, but it just looks like a fucking cigarette. Like, there's nothing else that you could really make out of that thing other than it's just a fucking cigarette. I mean, is that really something that you want to have as a snack before you have fucking dinner, whatever they're bringing down? Hey, you want to eat something? Hey, let's first, let's go out and have a fucking smoke before we do anything. Like, I always thought that that was like an after dinner thing. Like, you feel full, it's good to have a fucking cigarette, and that's just the way it fucking goes. But... I do have to commend the sets in this movie because, like, the house that the grandfather lives in, it's really well designed. You can kind of tell it's kind of like a set, but I like that it has all the crazy animal heads, and it really gives the grandfather's, like, oh, what's the way, like, it kind of fits him to a T. And then you have this cave where everything, how you come in there, they light shit like a torch on fire, and then they start lighting garbage cans all over the place. And it still gives a really, like, run-down, like, you know something's up, but at the same time you can be like, oh, okay. Like, if you were in Michael's situation, 
You know, the guy just tried to run you off a cliff, and here he is now inviting you into his house. You'd still look at him and be like, huh, this is a little weird. But you know what? I guess it makes sense, because the way that he approaches to it is just like, look, we can live here. It still works. And you know what? We can do what the fuck we want, because we're just a badass biker gang that doesn't need any fucking money, and all we do is terrorize fucking people. That's it. Okay, cool. Okay, I guess this works. And I could hang out with the bad people just because I'm trying to get a little bit something from Star over here. It's so ridiculous that that's what leads him into everything. But we learn a little later that it's not necessarily just his attraction to her that kind of led him into this whole situation. So from here we cut over to Sam at Grandpa's house and he's now reading the comic book that the Frog Boys gave him. I forgot to mention earlier one of the cool little Easter eggs that I found because as I was watching different parts of the movie, I wanted to see what was in the background. Like at the video store, there was like a National Lampoon's Vacation poster, which I thought was pretty cool. And there's a couple other decent posters and some of them it's hard to make out exactly what they are. And some of them I think are made up for the film. But shout out to Jamie from Five Faith from Fans. In the last scene with the Frog Boys, there was a ROM comic that was like front and center. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah. I started thinking about the 5A from Fans podcast there. And it's just really funny that that's what just happened to be in the frame of that shot was that particular comic. Because you really couldn't make anything else out. And I was just like, huh. And I know that he was a giant fan or he is a giant fan of that series. So put two and two together. There you go. But nonetheless, he's reading the comic book in bed, and then Mom comes in, she's basically saying goodnight to him, and as she's leaving, he's like, no, 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 put the nightlight on. But it's really weird, because every other light in the room is on, and he's going to stay up to continue reading the rest of the comic book. And it's like, so your bitch ass couldn't go over there and turn on the nightlight after you've turned off every fucking light in this place? And then, (laughs) I know the mom is trying to make light of things, but it's kind of sad at the same time, because she's like, you know, the real reason that I think your dad left me and divorced me was because he didn't believe in the closet monster. And it's like, really? Is is that going to make him feel better about this situation? Like, he had to leave his hometown at his age in Arizona... All his friends, probably his family and everything else, to go to California, the murder capital of the world. And you're going to say that it was the closet monsters the reason that you guys got divorced? And no other reason? Like, he was probably out sleeping with somebody else or, you know, he wasn't putting enough into the relationship. And he didn't leave you with any money or any way to take care of these fucking kids. Didn't leave you the house. Didn't leave you shit. You had to leave fucking Arizona. Wherever the fuck you were in Arizona. I think he said Phoenix. But you had to leave fucking Arizona and go here. Like, I don't know if I'd, like, make light of the father in that world. Try to, like, paint him in, like, a nice light or whatever. I probably would have called him the fucking closet monster because he ruined my fucking life and scared me every night that I was there. Like, that would have been the way to fucking go about this thing. But, yeah, whatever. Then you have Grandpa come in right after this, and Grandfather brings over a taxidermy beaver to say that, here, this is going to spruce up your room, to which Sam puts in the fucking closet, and we end the scene. We go back over, and we see now that food has arrived for Michael and the boys, and this is where we get... And and it's going to be hard. I, I know this scene. I want to play let this whole thing play out, and some of it's visual, but just remember... That there are things that are very powerful that you can do with the mind, and you can make people see things that aren't actually there. Well, 
when you're a vampire. Over here, bud. Yes, first. No. You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael, how could a billion Chinese people be wrong? <laughs> Come on. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Pretty sad. Sorry about that. No hard feelings, huh? Oh. Why don't you try some noodles? <laughs> I mean, they're worms. <laughs> Tony! They're only noodles, Michael. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple things here that I'm kind of interested in. It's mostly about the lore of the vampires in this film, because they really don't make that like a big thing. And I get it. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big thing. It doesn't necessarily need to be something that we're going to focus on. But it still kind of weirds me out. Like, these vampires eat, right? Normal vampires don't fucking eat. But these vampires do eat. So how do they shit? When do they shit? Like, how is their shit? Like, is it really liquidy because they also have to drink a bunch of blood? Like, are they eating food just kind of get by? Like, there's something... It would be nice if, like, they went into pages of the comic book that were there. And that actually explained the way that some of them work. Because there is something that gets said later, and I'll kind of spoil it here. But, like, until they kill their first person, they're not really truly a vampire yet. Like, they can still kind of control it. And it's kind of the reason that Star and the Kid are the way they are. But it's weird because what Michael does later in the middle, like, it doesn't make any sense. I just wish that maybe when he was reading the comic book in the bed, when Sam was, like, if he had said even out loud some of the things of what vampires are like in this world, and maybe that's something in the sequels that follow this movie, but I would have liked to learn more, right? I want to know more about what the vampires can and can't do, because here they are, eating fucking worms and maggots, I mean, rice and fucking chow mein, and that sounds really fucking good right now. Man, I'd love some fucking barbecued pork. Nonetheless, I'm just fucking hungry. But I would really like to know more about vampire ecosystems in this movie. Like, they sleep upside down inside the cave. So since they sleep for 12 hours a day during the day, does that mean that it just all builds them? Does a vampire never have to get up in the middle of the day and, like, take a whiz? Or do they just, like, fuck it, it can just go through my pants? Like, don't worry about it. Or do they never have to pee and poop again? They can just do what they want and never gain a pound, never have to expel anything. I was about to say excrement something, but that wouldn't be quite right. Like, how do vampires go to the bathroom? Do they need to go to the I'm asking the hard-hitting fucking questions here, and I want some fucking answers. So if you guys know, please email me and tell me exactly what the fucking answer is to that. But nonetheless... So, 
it's all mind over matter stuff. And I really like the way the scene plays out, right? It's creepy without being creepy. It still holds, like, the number one thing in this movie seems to be comedy, right? It's more of a comedy horror film. Comedy horror adventure, maybe, because there's a little bit of adventure. It's basically, to me, it's kind of like a Goonies, right? But not so much on, like, growing up and becoming, uh, uh, you know, now what would be deemed an adult or a teenager or whatever you want to see. You're getting older in the world and you're supposed to be wiser and you're no longer a kid anymore because you're doing these other things that are going out there. There's none of that fucking bullshit in here, right? But it it really is like, it's a good setup creepy scene and I like the way that it's just kind of weirdly mixed in there. Because even the other scenes were like, the vampires are stalking on people, how it starts it, it's not really scary, right? If it was shot that way, I don't know, you'd say it's more like the mainstream horror of today, you know, where it's not like super scary, but it has good ideas. But a lot of it has been the comedy, right? We've got crazy old grandpa and the way the frog boys act and talking about how, like, everything they're doing is for peace, justice, and the American fucking way. And, you know, the, the, <laughs> the fucking sax guy and all this other stuff. But you have them... Creeping on the guy in the beginning, you know, pudgy dude, and then you have them killing the two people in the car, and then you have this scene here, where it's creepy, especially seeing all the maggots, that's disgusting, but I like the way it's kind of all mixing together, and I like the way that the scene is set up, because David, even though you have funny, like, this is, it's almost like a Monster Squad type of thing, right? You have funny main characters, but your villains are not funny. They are taking themselves serious, and everything they do is serious. And Michael is the one that's kind of the go-between, because it's like he wants to be a part of the comedy, but he's not. It's the kids that are. He's right there in between the two. So, they go through this, and then they decide that, you know, he whispers over to Alex Winters, and I feel so bad for Alex Winters in this movie. Because he doesn't really get any lines. And I feel he's the one memorable guy of the gang outside of Queefer over here. That, you know, you know who he is. But he barely says anything. But he's the one that goes gets the giant bottle of wine. And Star does try to warn David, you know, of what it is. But he's like, I'm not too much of a puss. I can show these guys that I just met that tried to kill me and tried to feed me worms and feed me maggots. That I can be like one of them and I can fit in. I'm a badass because that's the type of person you like, Star, right? And no, she doesn't. You you honestly think that she does, but you don't know what the fuck she is. And so he takes a giant swig of things and he ends up drinking, of course, vampire blood. And that's when they take themselves out into the railroad and they go over this bridge and they decide to play a game, another game of chicken... But this time, they're all hanging on to the underside of the bridge as a train comes by, and the train shakes the bridge and drops every one of the Lost Boys, and eventually, Michael can't hold on anymore. He drops two, and he wakes up in the morning, and he's an awoken in his room with the sun shining, and in comes Sam with his mom on the phone. It's mom. Mom's home? No, on the phone, Mike. What time is it? It's two o'clock. Give me those sunglasses. You need your sunglasses to talk on the phone? Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? Ooh. 
No. I'm not. Michael, w- would you do me a favor? Max asked me to go to dinner with him after work tonight. Would you stay home with Sam? Look, Sam is old enough to stay by himself right now. I don't need a babysitter, Mike. Look, Michael, you know, you come home in the middle of the night. You sleep all day. I work all day. Sam is always alone. You know, it's been a long time since somebody asked me to go to dinner. I'd like to go. Okay? Okay, Mom. Thanks, honey. It's a real favor. Bye-bye. Why in the world does she need to ask their permission to go out on a fucking date? How long has she been divorced from the father? Like, there's a lot of things that I wonder about. Maybe he's just a deadbeat fucking dad. And maybe she did win some money, but eventually she ran out of money. But it sounds like she just recently got divorced when she talked with her dad. And here she is already trying to hook up with somebody there because she hasn't been on a date in a long time. Well, okay, that can possibly be true because maybe you were married for that time. But instead, you're going to go on a date with your boss. That also seems fucking weird. But the fact that she has to ask permission from her kids, she's way too nice. Way too fucking nice. Because to be honest, like, I think that you don't need to ask the kids for permission, especially when one is fucking 37 and the other one is like 22. Like, you don't really need to do... Actually, he's more like eight. Maybe if it's around that age, then maybe you'd be like, oh, okay, maybe if it's... Is it okay if mommy goes out? But... Honestly, you just tell the one son that, you know, of course, maybe it seems like he's, like, getting into the bad crowd and he wants to be independent and it's too much for him to ask. But, of course, even he says, Sam's old enough to take care of himself. And if he's supposed to be, he looks like he's fucking old enough to take care of himself. But what the fuck? It's, you know, Michael's going to go ahead and just do it because he does care for his mother and he is going to let her go do what she needs to do. If she needs to get her rocks off, go get your fucking rocks off and go on a nice date with the creepy video store owner that nobody but you has met. And so we fade over to the night and we see that grandpa is also getting ready to go out on the date himself and he needs a little bit of help to get ready from Sam. Anything around here that might pass for, for aftershave? How about some Windex, Grandpa? Yeah, yeah, let me try some of that, huh? You have a big day tonight, Grandpa? <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna drop by some of my handiwork to the Widow Johnson. What'd you stuff for? Mr. Johnson. Yeah, I'll see you two guys later. It wasn't funny, Mike. I'm gonna make you a sandwich. Don't bother. Lose the earring, Mike. It's not you. It's definitely not you. Piss off. No, all you do is give attitude lately. You watching too much Dynasty, bud? Okay, why is giving attitude watching too much, like, Dynasty? Used to watch that with my mom all the time and didn't give any fucking attitude to her. Just because all those people were bitches on that fucking show doesn't mean I need to be a bitch to everybody else. And you can see, he's fucking tired. He's not fucking hungry. Okay, I'll make you a sandwich. I don't want any. Don't worry about it. And then you're like, with Grandpa, that joke is great. Grandpa's making all these terrible jokes, you know, and then he makes the great joke of, like, I'm bringing some of my work. 
What'd you stuff? Mr. Johnson? That's fucking great. And Grandpa, I would have fucking laughed, but he looks at him like, Oh, you're a little bit dark and morbid over here. But here I am with all my fucking taxidermid animals. I'm bringing over a fucking taxidermid little kicking dog over here. And that's the way that you're going to treat me? Come on, dude. Don't be that way. And Sam, stop being a fucking dick. You know, your brother, he's doing whatever he's doing. He's got himself a new earring. Once again, I don't know which ear that is supposed to be on. Like, it's supposed to be on the left? Is that the right one? Like... What was the thing in the like the 90s, 80s, and 90s where you weren't supposed, if you were a dude, wear an earring at? And honestly, that earring kind of fits him. And I guess he got the earring from the biker gang, like from David and the gang or something like that. And it's supposed to like symbolize his start of his change. All of a sudden, though, at the end of that, there's a bunch of like bikers that suddenly come to the house. So David and his gang have all shown up outside, and they're just bikes, bike noise like trying to show how much of a bigger dick they have than him how much of a bigger vampire fucking david is over fucking michael you know i i guess that's what it is i don't fucking know but it's just weird because all of a sudden when there's you know sam says don't open the door michael don't open the door he opens the door and there's nothing else there they just close the door sam goes up there and gets ready for bed i guess and decides to take a bath one If he's as old as they want us to believe that he is, he wouldn't be taking no fucking bath, okay? I remember myself at that age, I think baths ended when I was like seven, maybe eight. Then it was nothing but fucking showers, because you're a fucking man, and fucking mans just take fucking showers. That's it. No relaxing, no bubbles, nothing, and especially no fucking singing in the bathtub if there's no fucking shower. And especially to the song they sing to. It's that one that you know, ooh, 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 ain't got a home, ain't got a man, I'm a lonely girl. You know that song. Come on, don't tell me you don't know that fucking song. Because I don't even remember the fucking name of the song, but I know that fucking song. Uh, I'm a lonely girl, ain't got a home, ooh, ooh, ooh. Like, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible fucking song. But what young boy listens to that or has posters of, like, 80s heartthrobs all over his fucking wall? Male heartthrobs. It's just... Why? Why? It's just silly, okay? It really is. And he's dancing in the bathtub and he's got the bubbles going and everything's all crazy. Why do we need this? Joel, Joel, listen to me. Listen to me from beyond the grave. Why do we fucking need this? Why does this need to be a part of your movie? But... I guess it does make kind of sense because of what happens next. He could have just been somewhere else. He doesn't necessarily need to be dancing in the bathtub. But Joel all of a sudden gets the hunger. You know, the hunger of being a vampire and he wants some blood. So he starts to stalk after his brother. And when he opens the door, Ayuk, the very beautiful fucking husky. I mean, this is probably one of the reasons why I love those dogs so much. And I've always wanted them, even though I know they're a pain in the ass to fucking take care of. But he is fucking gorgeous. That is is a beautiful fucking dog. But he does, at the last minute, he jumps after Michael and makes them, like, basically fight and fall down the stairs. To which Sam ends up coming out, running down there, and then f- they actually figure out what Michael is becoming. Mike, what happened? Nanook. What about Nanook? What'd you do to my dog, you asshole? Nothing. I didn't hurt him. He bit me. 
This is my blood. Why'd he bite you, Mike? Huh? What would you do to him? He was protecting you. Look at your reflection in the mirror. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. Sammy, wait. Sam! Stay back! Just stay wait back. and let me talk. Wait a minute! So now he's trying to run away from Michael and totally escape the situation that he's in because he realizes that his brother has now become a vampire. And even though Michael doesn't think that he actually has had anything done to him, he's just not feeling okay, right? And then he locks himself in his bedroom and he also locks the bathroom. And then he tries to figure out kind of what's going on. So he decides to go ahead and call the Frog Boys. But of course, they're no help whatsoever did the right thing by calling us. Does your brother sleep a lot? Yeah, all day. Does the sunlight freak him out? Uh, he wears sunglasses in the house. Bad breath, long fingernails. Yeah, his fingernails are all a bit longer. Um, He always had bad breath, though. He's a vampire, all right. All right, here's what you do. Get yourself a good, sharp steak and drive it right through his heart. I can't do that. He's my brother. Okay, we'll come over and do it for you. No! You better get yourself a garlic t-shirt, buddy. Or it's your funeral. So the Frog Boys, they're absolutely no fucking help. Why even put your fucking number on the back of a fucking comic book if your whole, like, your advice is to kill the fucking brother? That's it. That's the only thing that you're going to fucking do is you're just going to go over there and you're going to make sure that he's fucking dead. Okay, Anybody could have given that fucking advice. You just decided that, okay, well, you know, he's a vampire. Kill the vampire. They're fucking useless. You know, they, they again, I know it's comic relief and they're acting the way that they are. And honestly, I think it kind of fits, right? I am in the, the camp that does like the Frog Boys. Now, are they... Funny most of the time? No. Is Corey Feldman maybe overdoing it most of the time? Yeah, he pretty much is. But I think that it works for what they're trying to do with these characters, right? I like that they're a little more, like, gung-ho about things. I like the fact that they're not necessarily the good people that they kind of portray themselves to be. And when I say good people... Like the people that know what they're doing and they're going to attack and they're going to do these things. No, they're fucking useless here. And I think that it fits the character. And it's kind of like, if you want to think about it this way, you would say that Sam is more of the comedic guy where the Frog Brothers are kind of like your, you know, straight man for the rest of the movie. Because that's what they think. They're bigger than they actually are. And yet, they're, they actually do kind of do things in the movie. Meanwhile, Michael is over there in his room and he's decided to lay down and maybe try to sleep everything off. But all of a sudden, he starts floating up into the air and he starts floating and creating a bunch of noise. And basically, he's trying to control how he's flying all over the room. And he starts creating a ton of noise, which starts to bug Sam, who again is locked inside of his room. And all of a sudden, and his mom calls to check in on the both of them. Hello? Sam, is everything all right? Mom, I think we have to have a real long talk about something. Ah! Mom? Sam, 
Nothing, nothing. Listen, just who's making that noise? Mom, I can't talk about it on the phone. It's about Michael. Don't listen to him, Mom. He doesn't know what he's saying. Sam doesn't know what he's saying. Oh. Oh, shut up, Sam. Mom, help! He's coming to get me! Oh, oh my God! Mom. Sam! Mom. He's gonna kill me! Mom. Honey, I'm coming! And so she leaves her date with Max. Like, she's out on that date with Max. They're having a nice time. They're enjoying each other's company. She decides, because it's the first time she's left them by themselves on their own, that she can call in and figure out what's going on. And then because he starts saying, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, that she runs out on her date without even fucking telling Max, look, I have to go. She just freaks the fuck out and runs the fuck away. It's kind of ridiculous to be honest but i can get it at the same time because hey it's your kids when when your youngest says hey they're trying to kill me you're just gonna run out there and try to protect your son as much as you can even if it is from his brother so she runs back to the house and, and at the house we see that michael has gotten back inside he asks you know please let me inside i'm struggling out here and then Sam lets Michael back inside of his room, and, you know, they kind of have a piece, you know, he needs to know what's going on with himself, and he needs to get answers, because he doesn't realize what's going on, and even though the brother is like, you're a fucking vampire, remember when we were downstairs, and I had you look in the mirror, and then we could barely see you, and I could put my hand like, look, look. You can see my fucking hand. That means you're a fucking vampire. But of course, you know, Michael, he's just like, I have to get confirmation of what I fucking am. It's like, come on, dude. You know you're a fucking vampire. You can float. You hate garlic. And you can see yourself. Well, you, you really can't see yourself in a mirror any fucking more. So he decides to leave. Mom shows up. And of course, the brother, he's going to make up some stupid excuse to, you know, allow, one, the brother to leave, and two, the mom to stop worrying. Sam, are you all right? Oh, you had me scared to death. I'm okay, Mom. I was reading oh. a horror comic, and I thought I saw someone on my window, but I guess I just got a little carried away, that's all. You got carried away by a comic book? It was a scary comic, Mom. I'm sorry. You know, I just about had it with the both of you. You know that? What is this mess? You spill milk all over the kitchen floor and don't even bother to clean it up? Well, I didn't spill it, Mom. I don't believe you people in the refrigerator doors wide open. Are we just trying to refrigerate the whole neighborhood? You know, it's not fair. I would like to have a personal life, too. Where's Michael? Uh, he went to bed early, Mom. So Michael's trying to sneak out of the house at the same time, and Grandpa's now coming back, and he's happy as he can be because he probably got some from the Widow Johnson. And... You know, when he finally does go by, Michael leaves. We cut over for a second to see Max, who, you know, he's gone home after everything has happened with Lucy and the bad date that he had because he got ditched by her in the middle of the date because of her kids. And we see that there's like this vampire kite that comes out of the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden the motorcycle bikes from earlier, from when they were at Sam and, uh, you know, Michael's place... They're all of a sudden showing up around, and it kind of looks like they're all going to be going and attacking Max at this moment. It then cuts over to Michael going over to the resort place and seeing what's going on 
with, you know, trying to find David and the gang to understand what's going on with him. And he runs into Star instead. Star says, I'm so sorry about what's happening to you. And he's like, what's going on? She's like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Why can't you tell him? It doesn't make any sense. This part never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Because she easily could say, hey, guess what? You drank vampire blood, so you're going to become a vampire, and there's nothing you can really do to stop it. Well, maybe there's something that you could do, but I don't really know what it is. But this is what's happening to you. That's it. She could have said it. But instead, she's like, I can't tell you, can't tell you. But what you can do is you can plow me as much as you fucking want, because they end up sleeping together. It's ridiculous. Like, all of a sudden, middle of nowhere, like... You know, there was some, like, sexual tension between them, but it's not enough for them to all of a sudden hook up. Like, it's so fucking quick. He's known her for, what, three days, maybe? He's seen her maybe a total of four times, including this one. Maybe only three times, to be honest with you, because he saw her at the beach, he saw her the night that he became a vampire, and he sees her now. Three fucking times, and that's enough for her to be like, I'm so sorry, is this, like, a pity lay? Because I, this is the, I'm sorry I tur- help, help get you turned into a vampire lay. Like, where's that one? I don't remember that one when I was younger. Like, somebody trying to turn me into a vampire. Oh, I'm sorry, it's my fault. Here, let's have sex. Like, come on. Where did that go? Uh, but nonetheless, we, you know, he wakes up and he goes home. And that's where he and his mom have a confrontation where she thinks that, like, He's trying to avoid her, and he doesn't want to actually have anything to do with her anymore because of the divorce. But it's not that. It's that he feels like shit during the day, and he's becoming a vampire. Hi. Hey, aren't we friends anymore? Sure. Sure. Does that mean uh, we are, or... uh... We are. We are. Well, then let's act like friends. Let's talk. Michael, take off your glasses. Michael, look at me. If if there's a girl... I'm tired, Mom. We could talk about... I'm tired. We could talk about anything you wanted to talk about. I have more serious things in my mind than girls in school. There's things I'm dealing with that you can... Things I wouldn't understand. like I wasn't the only one got lucky last night, huh? <laughs> so I guess he did get lucky, and we just got confirmation of that, and I don't necessarily know if I needed to know that. So it seems like everybody but the mom actually managed to get something out of that night. Well, that and, you know, that night too, she did manage to sleep with a guy, just happened to be next to her son, while he was wearing a ton of garlic, and that sounds really awful the way that I said it, but uh, it's staying in there. Uh, so he's going back to rest and the mom and Sam, they're going to go over and she's going to go to Max's because she feels like she needs to leave him a note or she needs to apologize to him that, you know, she basically (laughs) stood him up or was with him and then just totally bailed on the date all because her son had a nightmare, quote unquote. And, you know, and when she goes up there, she sees the dog and she's like, oh, Hey, whatever the fuck your name is, I think it's fucking Thorn. 
hate, which is a beautiful, Thorne is a beautiful fucking dog as it is. But he, like, starts going after her right a fucking way. Like, she tries to pet him, and then he's fucking gnashing his teeth, growling, and then fucking chasing her down to where she is able to get out, and he almost bites her, but he's trying to break through the gate fence, and they end up both running away. That causes Sam to go back over to the Frog Boys and to talk about the vampire activity that's going down in the area. Then the dogs started chasing my mom like the hounds of hell and vampires everywhere. We've been aware of some very serious vampire activity in this town for a long time. Santa Carla's become a haven for the undead. As a matter of fact, we're almost certain that ghouls and werewolves occupy high positions at City Hall. Kill your brother. You'll feel better. Look, guys, my brother's not a bloodsucker. Look, it says here that if you kill the head vampire, all half-vampires will return to normal. Guys, if my brother's a vampire, believe me, he's only half. Does your brother know who that vampire is? No, I don't think so. Then you'll have to kill him. And if you don't, then we will. This all started when my mom went to work at Max's video store. Max never comes in till after it's dark. The dog who chased my mom this morning was his. Here, listen to this. Vampires require a daytime protector, a guardian, to watch over them as they sleep. Fierce dogs. The hounds of hell are often employed for this purpose. No shit. Yeah, well, what happens if my mom is dating the head vampire? You guys can nail him and save Santa Carla. Truth, justice, the American way triumphs. Thanks to you two. We'll check out Max. So, you know, the mom said that she's going to have the Max over, and that's going to be that. Like, she's making it up to him by having him over for dinner and everything's going to be cool after that. And then, you know, Sam decides that, hey, Max must be the head fucking vampire, so you two, you two bumbling fucking idiots, you guys come over and let's figure out whether or not he actually is the head vampire. Sounds like a great fucking plan, especially since their whole thing is just a fucking, you know, just kill him. Just kill him. Just kill him. Just kill him. It's like fucking kill people and ask questions fucking later. Maybe they weren't a fucking vampire. Doesn't matter. You probably saved yourself a little bit of something by just killing him right away. So that night comes. We go back over to the house. And we see that Lucy is getting everything ready to make a nice dinner for the night. And of course, Grandfather, he doesn't like anybody coming over. And also, Michael, he's not going to stay because he needs to figure out what he is, even though everybody in the whole fucking world knows exactly what he fucking is. good. When do we eat? I told Max. Eight o'clock. Max, we got to have company again. Again? Dad, you haven't had company in this house since Mom died eight years ago. Right. Now we're going to have company again. Michael, Max is coming to dinner. I'd like you to meet him. I can't. I have plans. Oh, Michael. You know, things are going to change around this house when school starts. Hey. How you doing? You must be Michael, right? And you must be Max. Right. How are you? Well, you're the man of the house, and I'm not coming in until you invite me. You're invited. Thanks very much. Okay, so this is the part where I guess I have to spoil the big twist that's going to come at the end of the movie. 
But it's not really a twist. And I don't think anybody that saw this movie thought, oh yeah, there's no possible way that he could be the head vampire after what's about to transpire with the dinner. But it's like blatantly obvious that he really is the head vampire. At least if you know anything about vampires like the kind of generic overall this is what vampires need to come in because they've changed over the years i get it vampires do different things but the biggest thing is that they have to be invited in right and he is kind of playing it off like he's just a very kind gentle nice guy and he's just like well you know what you're the man of the house and i'm not coming in until you invite me and he's like you're invited and that's it he's able to get in the fucking house but they break this fucking rule later i'm gonna let you know that and it's just kind of like i i get it they're doing it in kind of a way where you could be like maybe he is maybe he isn't but it's just so painfully obvious that he is like with everything that's being set up and it's stupid to think that at the next section they're going to be convinced the characters in this movie are going to be convinced that he's not so that's where we get the start of the dinner, where we find out that the Frog Boys are staying over, and they're going to try some of their tests on the vampire. Mom, these are my dinner guests, Edgar and Alan, the Frog Brothers. Oh, I didn't know you were having guests. Well, Mom, you know, for any way, we can go eat some peanut butter and in the kitchen. No, there's plenty for everybody. Max, this is my son, Sam, and uh, Edgar and Alan, Frog? Mm. Lucy, this looks terrific. Well, I hope it tastes good. Mmm. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Boy, somebody around here has bad breath. No, no. Would you quit breathing on me? No, no. Get upstairs. Go on. You want some Parmesan cheese on that? Uh, yeah, Sam, thank you very much. Sam grated the cheese himself. Ah. My son. Another budding chef in the family. Are you all right? Mm. No, it's not cheese, it's, it's garlic. But you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. Raw garlic. Garlic? How did that happen? Guys, she likes garlic. Okay, so it seems so ridiculous here. All right, so first, he's just unannounced. Two friends of his are going to stay for dinner. Like, he just puts that on her right away, and she's just like, like, shouldn't she just send him off the fucking grandpa? Like, hey, we're going to have dinner here tonight. Like, you're not going to eat with anybody. You're going to stay the fuck in your room or you're going to go fucking do some taxidermy with grandpa because mama's going to try to get fucking lucky by making a nice fucking dinner for somebody because she hasn't had any in years or months or days. We don't know how long this fucking, you know, divorce was, but mama hasn't gotten anything in a while. And I met a very nice guy and just let me have a nice dinner with him. I would assume that most people are going to be that way. Like, I can imagine myself, if I had kids and I had gotten divorced and I wanted to have a date, I wouldn't pick the night that my son was going to be home or my daughter or whomever was 
to have that person over unless I wanted them to meet the kids at the same time to see if they were compatible. It would take me a bunch of dates before I would bring anybody over to meet my kids and hopefully they all click and everything works out great. Don't do something like this right away. Like, come over. I understand it's being sorry because your sons were being a dick and said that they were killing each other when they really weren't, but you really don't do that. Then, when they're at the dinner, the very first test they're going to do is the goddamn garlic test. Well, the first test they actually did was the breath test. Ha ha ha, it's the dog. Like, okay. <laughs> it's it's just, like, I get it. They're trying to do something, maybe kind of be funny. But it's so terribly acted in this little scene that I just, uh it drives me crazy and I can't. It's hard to watch it. It's so goddamn cringy. Then the garlic, and she's like, oh, the Parmesan cheese, my son, he grated it. Okay. And then it was, when it turns out to be garlic, she's like, how did that happen? Your son's a fucking dick and grated a bunch of garlic instead of Parmesan cheese. And you know what? You could fucking smell that shit from a mile of fucking way, too, before you put it on your goddamn food. Unless they have some type of magical fucking non-smelling garlic, that much garlic in a bowl is fucking pungent. I don't care who you are, unless you truly are the undead servant of Satan, and you have no more sense of smell, that's just the way that it's going to be. You're not going to get any type of, like, smell out of that whole thing. Give me a fucking break. So he puts a bunch of garlic on it, and then, you know, because of everything that's going on, uh, the dinner, it continues. Here, quick, drink some water. Oh! Sam, what's the matter with you? Is it burn? Burn? What are you, nuts? It's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Gosh. Now what? Must be circuit breaker, Mom. He's not glowing. I know. Hit the light. Ah! Sam, what has gotten into you tonight? I think I know what's going on around here tonight. You do? Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Sam, but you're wrong. Sam? Yeah. I'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you. I would just like to be your friend. That's all. Good night, Lucy. Thanks a lot. Sorry, Mom. I'm so sorry. Major mistake. Our batting average isn't terrific, is it? Over no. two. You were so sweet to him just now, really. I, I don't know what got into him. He's not like that. Well, I'll tell you, kids Sam's age need discipline. Otherwise, they run all over you. He doesn't run over me. Protecting mother. Listen, um, let's try it once more. Dinner, my house, tomorrow night. I'm cooking. Okay. Okay, so, you know, you got to make sure that you convince her one more time because you got to seduce her and you got to make sure she's part of your family. And so they're going to try the date one more time. It, it's just the, the rest of what they did was, I guess they put holy water in the glass and that's what he threw on him, not just regular water. Because I know vampires, they don't really react. And I guess we kind of knew a little bit of what vampires could react to based upon what they discussed 
with, you know, the Frog Brothers, with Sam and the Frog Brothers discussed with Michael, or about Michael, I guess you could say. So they tried everything, and the mirror would have been the only thing that possibly could have worked. And since nothing worked, and I don't even remember the fucking glowing thing, like all of a sudden, middle of nowhere, it's like, vampires glow, this isn't fucking Twilight, so vampires are going to fucking sparkle. Even though it was said that the blood that was used in this film did have glitter in it, so that way the blood could sparkle on camera. Which is pretty funny, to be honest with you. So, all the vampire tests fail. And, you know, now we're being led to believe that Max is not the head vampire, even though it's still pretty obvious that he's the fucking head vampire. And we cut back over to Michael, and Michael's hooked up with David and the gang to find out exactly what's going on. But they're telling him, look, you need to come with us if you want answers. And it's funny when they're walking around like, what are we? And he's like, well, you know... What are we? What are we? What are we? And and nobody wants to answer the fucking question. So that's where we get to the surf Nazi party. And all the surf Nazis are on the beach, which is funny. I guess they must die or they have to die. Whatever you want to call it. But, you know, surf Nazis. And so David says to Michael, you want to know what we are? Uh, And then he comes out and you see the fangs for the very first time. And you see that, guess what? They're fucking vampires, which your brother told you you were a vampire, so everybody's a fucking vampire. And they go and they kill off all the surf Nazis. Now, what I do like in this scene, you know, besides the music, of course, uh, is the fact that this is actually a relatively gory scene in a not very gory movie. Like, there, somebody gets their head ripped off, like, ripped open, uh, we see, you know, limbs missing, people get bit, they're getting dragged around, but it's very quick. It's not like it's a huge, long, drawn-out scene, it's, but it's still, like, probably the goriest and, like, scariest type of scene that you can see in this fucking movie. So at the end of it, you know, David tells him that he has to feed, that they'll never grow old, they'll always be young, and this is actually kind of where they got the idea of calling it the Lost Boys, because it's they're kind of basing these vampires more on the legend of Peter Pan and the Lost Boys that he has, um, it, rather than it be just about vampires. So, like, when he talks, he's talking more like the, the Peter Pan characters, like fucking Rufio or some shit, and he's talking about how they're never going to grow old, they're never going to die, they're just going to be, but they have to feed, and that's what it is. So... Michael goes home, and he goes to his brother, and he explains to his brother that he now knows exactly what he is, and he gets visited by somebody that night. I know who I am now, Sam. Don't kill me, Mike. I'm basically a good kid, so just don't kill me. I can help you. Just tell me who the head vampire is. I thought it was Max, but I was wrong. Just work with me, and I can help you. You'll be okay. Is that girl from the boardwalk? Is she one of them? I have to talk to you. Can I come up? No. You shut the window and lock your door. She's one of them. And don't tell me it doesn't make her a bad person, Mike. You know where David took me tonight, don't you, Star? Who's David? Yes. It's my fault. If you hadn't met me, if I hadn't liked you, I tried to warn you. It was that night in the cave, wasn't it? That wasn't wine they gave me to drink. It was blood. That was David's blood. You drank someone's blood? Are you crazy? I'm just like David now, Star. No, you're not. 
like Laddie and me. We're not one of them. Until you make your first kill. Why didn't you kill me last night? You're supposed to be my first. That's what David wanted. But I couldn't, Michael. Why? Because you care so much about me. Yes, I do. What are you doing here? What do you want from me? I wanted to tell you that it's not too late for you. But for me, it gets harder and harder to resist. I'm weak. Why did you come here tonight, Star? I was hoping you'd have Laddie and me. So she started to care. She, he was supposed to be her very first kill, and that's why it was all kind of working together. Now, there are other things that they're going to talk about later on, and it's not going to be her that talks about it, on the reason why he actually got turned, right? And it's really kind of the culmination of the film and when everything's exposed at the end of it. So the other thing is, is that She's able to get up there. Like, she runs to the house. They see her down on the first floor. Then she flies up. And then she walks into the goddamn house. And in my mind, where was her fucking invitation? She didn't ask to be let in. She just fucking walked in. Is it because she's not a full vampire yet? Because she hasn't killed anybody? Or was his dick the invitation to let him into the house? Like, they already fucked, so your dick is letting me in. Your mouth says no, don't come in, but your dick, it says yes. Please come in so I can enter you. Like, it's so ridiculous that, like, vampire rules are thrown out the fucking window for the way that this movie works. No other vampire has come into that house unless they're invited in or, later on we see, they're brought into the house and even then, even then, is it because now there's a vampire there? Or is it because the head vampire got invited in so everybody else can be invited in too? I don't really know. I don't really get it. But I'm going to go with option B. I think since they've already slept together, his dick is the invitation. So she just disappears without a trace for this time. And they decide that the next morning they're going to go and... Basically, they're going to rescue her and try to kill the vampires with the Frog Brothers, right? They think that that group, the group of Lost Boys over here, is the, the main one and David is probably the head vampire. Well, maybe that's what Michael thinks, but he doesn't get to express that to them. So, of course, they don't know exactly who the head vampire is. So, they go over there, they steal Grandpa's car, and when they come over to the, you know... <laughs> the cave that's there you can see them prepare for battle and michael questions you know are the frog boys really the guys that you want helping you out i don't want you going down there well, i'm going look this isn't a comic book sam these guys are brutal killers so are the frog brothers check me look who would you rather go down there with you them or me if something happens down there, I'm not going to have the strength to protect you. Well, this time I'll protect you, bud. Even though you're a vampire, you're still my brother. Listen! 
Just so you know, if you try to stop us or vamp out in any way, then I'll stake you without even thinking twice about it. Chill out, Edgar. Yeah, come on. So they all go now into the cave, and they're going to start looking for the vampires. Michael's got enough strength to go down in there and to grab Star and the girl, and they bring them back over to the car, and they don't put over. It is a fucking convertible, and they're leaving the sun out and fucking everywhere, and when they put them back into the car, they don't bother to put the top on it. I get it. It's a hard top. It might take a while to get out of there and be put on the fucking car, but come on. At least give them some fucking shade. You can only cover them with blankets for so fucking much before they start fucking burning up and dying. Maybe because they haven't made the first kill yet, the three of them haven't, is the reason why they can still be out in the sunlight, but I don't really fucking know. And again, vampires in this movie, they don't really make a whole lot of sense. So... We go back down and we see that the Frog Boys and Sam, they're going through the tunnels. They're looking for the coffins, right? And they realize that, hey, you know what? This whole cave is a fucking coffin. And when they look up, they're all the vampires that are on the ceiling. And that's when they decide to kill their first vampire because they don't know which one the head vampire is. Might as well fucking kill them all. Come on, guys, looks like a dead end. Let's head back, huh? They must have hidden the coffins around here someplace. There's nothing here. Let's go, guys. Huh? Jesus! Ah! 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 I thought there were supposed to be in coffins. That's what this cave is. It's one giant coffin. Right now, they're at the most vulnerable. Easy pickings. Remember, you just have to kill a leader, huh? We don't know which one the leader is. I guess we'll just have to kill them all. We'll start with the little one. First come, first staked. What was that? A little vampire humor? It wasn't funny. No, don't even! Good night, blood sucker. No! <laughs> Now, the Frog Brothers, they've got their first kill here, and it sucks that the first one is Alex Winters, because, honestly, out of all the Lost Boys besides Queefer here, I think he's the most noticeable actor out of all of them. And and that's primarily because of Bill and Ted and Bill and Ted's bogus journey, and, of course, the most recent Bill and Ted faced music, which was very entertaining. But it's just... Weird, like that he would be the first one to go, but maybe at this time, he wasn't as well known when the movie was shot. That's not something that I looked up, uh, and it's possible that that's just the case, and that he gets to be the first one out. It really sucks, because he only really has, I think, three lines total, and then one of them is right before they jump below to hang on the railroad tracks, and it's like, see you below, Michael, and that's it. But I would have rather had him be the one that, like, is the last one to kill besides David. But it's okay. He is the first one because supposedly he's the runt of the group. And actually, it's relatively funny because he dies and he just fucking sprays blood 
all over the Frog Brothers. They're, they're just fucking covered, especially Corey Feldman. He's completely fucking covered in blood, and they have to fall down. And then we see that David is awakened, and he's going to start chasing after them, and we get to see his nasty-ass vampire feet. Vampires have the dirtiest fucking feet out of any fucking monster I've seen, especially in this movie. It's like they are just these weird, like, claw things that basically make them kind of look like bat like feet. Not like it's like a bat utility thing, like Batman has bat feet or some shit like that. No, it's like, like, squee, 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 bat feet. You know, I'm reminiscent of why your parents are dead because you fell in this fucking hole. And we need to see this thing 18 fucking more times with every new fucking Batman movie that's ever made. So squee, 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 motherfucker, your parents are dead. Uh, and... So he chases after them. There's like this little chase scene as they're trying to run outside and eventually they get to a point where there's sunlight and he can't cross it because these vampires can't be out in the sun, right? Unless, I guess, you fed once and then that's just the way that it goes. So they can't, Michael can't drive him back to the house. So, of course, you know, license to drive is going to be coming up soon and Sam, he goes ahead and drives them back home. Uh, but of course, first, you know, Feldman here, I think he is Alan Frog, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he's Edgar. I think Edgar's the other one. I always confuse the two for some fucking reason. But he decides that they need to fucking floor it, and he has it in reverse, and so it almost floors them right off the fucking cliff. And he says, don't just do that. That's what Sam says to him. And they drive off forward as they're trying now to put on the fucking hardtop. From the back of the fucking thing. It's so fucking stupid. They just drive with it open. That thing's going to fly open. Especially if you're trying to get the fuck out of there. They end up going back over to the house. And that's where we see Nanook there. And he's basically being protective. Because he can smell the fucking vampires. So they've got to put him outside. While they get the two star. Well actually the three now. Star, the kid, as well as Michael. Upstairs into the bedroom. So they can rest until it's nighttime. Cool in the nook. Your dog knows a flesh eater when he smells me. Take him outside, Sam. Come on, the nook. Michael. You know the rule about filling up the car with gas when you take it without asking? No, Grandpa. Well, now you do. Definitely blue plan A. Time to activate plan B. Okay, what's plan B? We don't have one yet. We only have two and a half hours to come up with one. Why? What's in two and a half hours? The sun will go down. They'll be looking for us. Mom! But I know this is... Sam, what are you doing with the fire? Mom, listen, I gotta tell you something. It's real important. Santa Carla's crawling with vampires, Mom. Uh, excuse me. Mom, I'm serious. Listen, Edgar snaked when it was screaming and fizzing. It was trying to get Look, Mom, there's evidence on my sweater. Oh, Mom, you gotta tell Rick. someone. Come on, honey. Mom, you gotta tell someone. Yeah, this Come- isn't funny. I'm not kidding, Mom. They're coming to the house as soon as it gets dark. Okay, stop it. Right now. Just stop it. Mom. No, not another word. I don't believe you're doing this. I'm gonna see Max tonight and you're trying to ruin it for me. No, I'm not. Honey, there's nothing wrong with Max. I don't know why you don't want me to see. I'm not talking about Max. Right the hell with Max. I'll deal with you later, young man. Mom, no. Guys, we're on our own. So, okay. 
Now, everything that goes down with the scene, first we get Grandpa with the dumb joke, right? Like, <laughs> you know the rule about stealing the car? This rule came out of nowhere, and now you gotta, if you steal a car, you gotta fill it up with gas. He's not mad about it, he doesn't care that they've got all these people in their arms, and they're all, like, rushing to protect everybody. Nope, just make sure that you fill up the gas with the car. I still like Grandpa, it's still funny, but it's fucking ridiculous. Then you have them, basically, the Frog Brothers realizing that, hey, you know what? They're going to come after us. We've got two hours to make a plan. And Mom is so now tired of all his fucking bullshit, because he's almost like the boy who cried wolf here, that he's going to be left on his own. And now we get the montage of them preparing for the vampires coming at night. They basically go get a bunch of holy water. They go get a bunch of garlic. They make some staves. They get prepared to fight the vampires. It's kind of your classic, cliche 80s montage where they're doing kind of silly, kind of funny things. You know, how everybody's reacting to them when they go eat the holy water and they're filling up the bathtub and with everything that's there. And then eventually they have to convince uh, Grandpa that he also needs to leave the house. That the Widow Johnson, she wants another night with him. And so he's all gearing up and goes out and is very happy to be getting some that night. And then now the vampires are starting their assault on the house. And the very first thing that we get is the blonde vampire. Well, before that, we do get an explanation from the Frog Brothers that basically tells them that, hey, vampires, you know, you can kill them. But when you do, they're going to try to totally either take you out with them or, you know, it's going to be very, very messy. Like a vampire kill is never a clean job. It's always going to have some sort of problem. So they get ready for the fight. They go upstairs where the first vampire just crashes in. Again, none of these vampires are actually being invited into this place. So why are they attacking? Why are they able to enter inside? We do learn a little later it means something else, but here they're basically crashing the party and now beginning to fight everybody. And the first people that we could see kill a vampire are the Frog Brothers. They get the blonde one that's not Alex Winters, and he's basically, well, he, uh, he learns that holy water is a bitch. You're mine! You killed Marco! Yeah, you're next! No, you're next! Ah. <laughs> Garlic don't work, boys! Try holy water, death breath! So before this, there's also something that I forgot, is that they put Nanook outside, and when they put him outside, you know, to protect Michael, Star, and the little one from him. They forgot to bring him outside, so in the initial assault, they had to go out and save him, and they brought him back at the last minute. So that way, when the Frog Brothers are fighting this one, and they start tossing all the holy water on him and start burning him, you know, he ends up pushing them away, and they're about to get it, but then Inuk runs in and just does the sweetest fucking jump kick at the poor vampire guy, knocks him into the bathtub of the holy water, and he just fucking goes everywhere. Like, he gets into the plumbing of the house, and he starts, like, his blood is just fucking being shot everywhere in the goddamn house. Meanwhile, downstairs, while Michael is still kind of getting his power back, we see the 
the like black-haired vampire. I always forget their names too. But he's starting to attack them. And so he shoots one, but he misses the, with his arrow. And he hits him like in the shoulder. And he's like, huh, you can't kill me. He's like, yeah, but I won't miss again. And then he shoots again. And he shoots him right through the chest and right into the stereo. And he ends up being both electrocuted to death and basically stabbed through the heart. And you get the quip from, <laughs> you know, Sam here of... Whoa, death by stereo. Uh, you have Sam being sent upstairs because Michael senses that David is near. And David is laughing from the rafters and basically attacks Michael once. And we cut back upstairs and we see that Sam, he's hooked up back up with the Frog Boys. And then all of a sudden, somebody decides that they want to turn to a vampire too. Are you okay? Nailed one of them downstairs with a bow and arrow. All right, Sam. Oh. We trash the one that looks like Twisted Sister. Totally annihilated his night stalking ass. Well, and no cow to little. Right the knock. Death to all vampires. Maximum body count. They're awesome monster bastards. The meanest. The baddest. The attack of any monster. Get him! Please stop! Get away from him! You just stay away from him! He's just a little boy. Listen, lady, he's a little boy that's a fucking vampire and could rip them in half. Like, he could do whatever he needs to, but I get it. You're actually pretty good because you're able to somehow control yourself really fucking well. And you're able to hold him back. So you're a lot stronger than every fucking vampire in this movie. Because even though he's a little kid, he could just totally annihilate those guys. And I also like the fact that they're talking about how, you know, oh, hey, well, everything is kind of going our way. You know, we're the best, baddest vampire hunters in the world or monster killers or whatever. And then... All of a sudden, <laughs> the the kid pops out and they're all freaking the fuck out because they ain't shit, right? It, it's just, it's kind of an interesting scene and I feel like it goes on a little bit too long when he busts out of the bed and he runs into the corner. And the makeup on that kid is not necessarily the best in the world, but it's fine for what it is. We go back downstairs and now we see that Michael, he's trying to get a hold of David. And we're learning that David is probably not the best vampire in the fucking world. Because it's such a weak-ass fight between him and Michael and how David dies. And I'm going to play the whole quip because it's really only about a minute something long to get to the two things. And I didn't want to do 10 seconds of one and 10 seconds of another voice thing where you can kind of hear them fight. And the big thing to think about when they are fighting is there is a point where he tries, Michael tries to push David against a wall and impale him on the the deer antlers that are up on top, and then, you know, (laughs) then Queefer gets back, and he tries to do the same thing to Michael, but with all the antlers that you saw at the beginning of the movie in the taxidermic little studio that Grandpa has. And that, of course, doesn't necessarily go his way. Ready to face me, David? Huh? Tried to make you immortal. You tried to make me a killer! 
when he takes David and he slams him directly into the you know antlers that you see there and he dies and there is something funny about the way that he dies and I'll explain it when we get towards the end of the movie but it's kind of weird when you think about it and they do kind of explain what I'm going to talk about later on I just don't want to I don't think this is the right time to talk about that but (laughs) I say it's so weird I don't know so now that David is dead, he's supposed to turn back into a vampire, or from a vampire to a, a person, right? Well, he doesn't change at all. In fact, he doesn't feel any different. And I should say that fight between the two of them, it's pretty lame, to be honest. It's like they're kind of rushing the ending here at this point. Because, you know, he they try to slam each other, and when they jump at each other, it looks so bad. I mean... I understand if this is from the 80s, and if I'm looking at a, a standard definition TV or something that isn't like a 4K TV or something that's like really nice, 1080p, it, it might not look as bad. Like RoboCop looks terrible on a very nice TV, like a current TV, but back in the day, everything was fucking badass. But I still fucking love RoboCop, and I still fucking love this movie. But it does look really terrible when they jump at each other. And they just kind of fly in a circle. It's nothing really exciting. Like, I know that nowadays this would be full of kung fu fucking action, and there'd be all this wire work and stuff. But here it's just like, I'm going to jump at you, and you're going to jump at me, and we're going to spin, and I'm going to try to stab you, and then you're going to try to stab me. But true power conquers all, and then I'm going to stab you down. That's just the way that it kind of works. Eh, it's just what it is. So since he hasn't changed yet, when the boys come downstairs and they try to see, you know, since David is actually dead, what could be going on? And honestly, Star is down there too, and she's the first one that runs to Michael. And it makes me wonder, where is the little kid? Where did he go? Because he's using his fucking vampire powers, and he's not trying to kill any other fucking person anymore. But... Star, you know, she held him back, and he still was transformed, and now she's downstairs dealing with Michael, and that kid's nowhere to be fucking found. It's like he left the whole fucking movie at this point, but you know what? Michael's got bigger things to deal with rather than a kid killing his brother and his brother's friends. He's not able to turn back into a human being just yet. That's because they did not kill the head vampire. Mike! Don't let them see me like this. Mike! Get away, Sam. Mike, go drunk. I said get away! 
What's the big deal? You destroyed the head vampire. It's all over. Nothing's changed. He's right. I don't feel any different. And there's still one more. Sam? Michael? I'll handle Mom. Come on, go. Don't let us see any of the bodies. Sam? So there's one big thing that I did not say anything about, and now I'm going to bring it up, and it's the fact that they are having dinner number three over at his house. There was that try, you know, he did say, let's try this for the third time, and we're going to eat over there, but... You know, we actually had the dinner and she gave away the fact that Sam approached her and said that there's vampires out there. And she's like, it's silly. That's just the way that things are. So now we have Max at the house, right? He's coming to the place and he's looking over everything. And he goes over to David's body and he sees David and he's like, such a waste. And we see that Max and Star are looking at him and they're both like, huh, something's going on with this guy. And he turns around and he comes out and he begins to speak to his mom. uh, Well, to Lucy, I should say, to Sam's mom. And that's where we see the twist that everybody and their mom saw coming from a mile of fucking way. Another word from you until I talk to Michael. I'm sorry, Lucy. This is all my fault. David and my boys misbehaved. I told you, boys need a mother. Max, what are you talking about? I knew it. You're the head vampire. Sam, don't start this again. You're the secret that David was protecting. Mm. Who's this? Well, you passed the test. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. Did you know that? Of course. Everyone knows that. Has everyone gone crazy here? What's the matter with all of you? It was you I was after all along, Lucy. What? I knew that if I could get Sam and Michael into the family, there's no way you could say no. Where's Michael? It was all going to be so perfect, Lucy. Just like one big happy family. Your boys and my boys. Great. The blood-sucking Brady Bunch. But I still want you, Lucy. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind about that. I didn't invite you this time, Max. So, okay... This scene is, again, like I said, it's something that everybody fucking saw coming, right? Everybody and their mom, you knew that he really was the head vampire. Now, the inviting thing and the fact that Star can actually go in there, it makes sense now. If they're invited in, then powers don't work, okay? And for some reason, the Frog Brothers knew. But it, you were meant to like look at that and be like, you know, the Frog Brothers knew... But the Frog Brothers didn't invite them in and didn't know that he was invited in by Michael. Michael is the only one that actually knew that. Nobody else did. So if you're looking down on them, this is the one time where, guess what? 
they're not fucking stupid, right? They know what they know, and that's because, you know, they assumed that he wasn't invited in, and he just came in, right? You can take it that way. But it's meant to kind of play it on them like, oh, well, they should have known, that's why nothing works, and that's why nobody knew that he was the head vampire. But, come on, really? It, you could see it from a mile fucking way. It's like Michael not knowing that he's a fucking vampire, even though they proved he's a fucking vampire. He just didn't have a taste for blood just yet. Uh, it's it's so fucking ridiculous. And then the makeup that happens. Like, even the makeup on Michael. When it's with fucking Kiefer Sutherland there, the makeup looks fine. It actually fits him. Maybe he is really just a fucking vampire. I don't fucking know. But it looks right on him. And it doesn't look too bad on the other Lost Boys either when they show their vampire faces. Alex Winter looked great as well as the other two guys. Michael does not. Okay? It looks like he's gained like a five head. And then Max definitely does not. Like, it is one of the worst things. Even the kid is okay. But here, he's just fucking terrible. It, it just looks bad on him. And then he gets like all like pervy with his tongue out. And like, ah, 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 ah. like <laughs> he's fucking Freddy Krueger licking through the fucking telephone or whatever it is. It, it's so ridiculous. And then Michael, he's like... <laughs> Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't invite you this time. Goes to attack him and gets fucking thrown up to the second story. He <laughs> just thrown away. And then he's like, come on, I won't hurt anybody. And, and again, he said that, well, if I got Sam and Michael, then I knew that you would follow and we'd be one big happy family. So that's the reason. It's not necessarily that Star wasn't going to eat him, but David was under strict instructions to turn him into a vampire. And... That was David's blood. So technically, he should have turned back to being a normal person after they killed David, but they didn't. So now they have to kill Max, which is the head of everything. So I guess it's like a pyramid scheme for vampires, right? It's just that you have to kill who's ever on the top of the pyramid for everybody. So there's probably somebody that's above fucking Max, unless Max is a fucking, like, Vlad the Impaler type of Dracula vampire where he was just made into whatever it was from before. So we now have Max basically telling Lucy, hey, look, I won't do anything if you just become mine. Because I want you, Lucy. Just become mine and everything will be fine. And so Lucy, being the mom that she is... She's giving herself up. The, Sam is like, no, we can do something about this. Let's just get out of here. Don't do this, Mom. And she's just like, I have to protect my family. Which I admire her for, but really, she shouldn't have to. And that's when we see, out of nowhere, we hear the truck from Grandpa with his... And it crashes through the door, and it flings fucking Max across the house, and he fucking gets killed... And then the vampire curse is broken. Everybody is happy. And there's one last joke from Grandpa before the movie ends. It's over. Star! Star! Oh, Lenny! Is everybody okay? Oh, Michael. Oh, my boys. How much do you think we should charge him for this? Dad! Dad? Dad? 
thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange, yeah. I could honestly just keep listening to the song for the rest of the end of this thing. But that was The Lost Boys. So, the big thing with David that a lot of people said, well, that the writer said of the film is that you notice that at the end, he doesn't disappear like all the other vampires disappear. So it's saying that David actually survived, right? And it happens to be that in some of the comic books that lead up to the sequels to this movie, David is around. And that's how more vampires are there. And that's how the next two movies get made. And they, I think David even shows up in like the prequel comic to The Thirst, which I think is the next movie. Um, and it's weird because there's so much time in between this in 1987 and then 2007 is when we get the first sequel like there was a big resurgence of this movie and then they needed to make two more and Corey Haim does have a cameo in the first one but then by the time the second one was made he had unfortunately passed away so how is this movie like how does everything still stack up now there's a lot of ridiculous things in this but overall this is a fun fucking movie. I, I honestly have so much fun watching it. It's so ridiculous. Things are so stupid, you know, to an extent. You know, the kids, they kind of act the way that they act throughout the movie. You've got, you know, some performances that are just okay. But nothing is bad, in my opinion. Like I said, I think that the way the Frog Brothers are portrayed, I think it actually fits and works for it. I don't know what it's like in the other movies because I've never seen the sequels because I just don't understand why we need them, right? Why all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, did we need to have two movies to this one? There was such a, we need more Lost Boys that's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And I think it was kind of the big vampire craze of the 2007s that kind of led to them making two more of these because these were pretty boy vampires and we could do that, you know, I don't know, maybe they're fun movies, maybe they're just really bad movies. Maybe one of these days, I'll check both of them out, and we'll have episodes for the podcast for the rest of the Lost Boys films. Who knows? But this one, it's truly a classic, and it's definitely my favorite of Schumacher's movies. It It's not, like, overweighed by the heaviness and the campiness that he brings to some of the other films. Like, the number 23 is one of those films where... I like it, but I know that it's not very good, right? There's, I really like Jim Carrey's performance in that movie, but overall, the movie's really kind of silly, and it kind of starts to crumble over the own, uh, under the own weight of itself, right? Whereas the, the big example here is Batman and Robin, and as well as Batman Forever, where you have 
like a vision that's brought to these to bring back that old campy Adam West type of Batman to a serious Batman series started by Tim Burton and it just didn't work in either one of those films especially Batman and Robin which is just a giant stealing pile, steaming pile of shit I say giant stealing pile of shit it's something completely different that guy is a thief uh but <laughs> and it's also shit it's weird uh, but just in general, like the, a lot of the jokes hit in this movie, uh, the setting is really fucking cool. Um, you know, there's, I guess for me also, there's a lot of nostalgia. I really though wish we had spent a little more time on the vampires. Yes, we learn what you can do to detect, what can possibly hurt them, but there isn't anything about like the lore behind them. I want to learn a little more of what they are, what they do, and what the Frog Boys truly think the origin stories of them are. Who knows? Maybe we'll get it, or maybe we did get it in later versions of this film. So, what do I think, like... And I like the way that it ends on the way that it ends, where, like, the grandfather already knew that all this shit was there. And he kind of explains it in the beginning, and but it really doesn't kind of match up to the characters to the very end. And the look on all three of their faces when he says that is fucking priceless, and it's a great way to just to end the movie. And I think that they really tried to market this as more of a horror horror movie, and they didn't really showcase the comedy that is possibly in this. Because it really is comedic horror, but it's that comedic 80s horror where it's not just being funny and outlandish. Like a lot of comedy horror today, I feel like it's not really meant to be scary. It's meant to be like, uh, you know... It's meant to be commentary on horror in general in a funny way. So you get like a Shaun of the Dead where it's got some gruesome scenes in it, but it's not really scary. It's more, you know, you're laughing more often than you're doing anything else. Whereas this, there are some genuinely like kind of scary, kind of creepy scenes. The the scene with the, you know, the food changing is a creepy scene. Uh, the boys almost being attacked by David. It's pretty scary. And when they, you know, it is comedic when they stab poor Alex Winters and kill him. But that whole thing is still really creepy. There's tension getting to that point. And then when the tension is released after he's been stabbed and he's screaming, he's it's because there's blood like everywhere flowing all over the place. So uh, grading this movie and giving the review like I always do. Gore, I'm giving it a 2 out of 5 just for that one scene where you actually see some gore. Right? There's a couple little things here or there. A couple people get stabbed. The cabin and all the deaths of the vampires are actually pretty gory. But they're not so bad that somebody couldn't just watch it. Or somebody that was, you know, say like a preteen, teen, maybe like 10 and up. Couldn't like just watch and enjoy this movie at the same time. They may be freaked out a little bit by the vampire faces. But the deaths, they're not so bad. At least in my mind, maybe it's worse than it actually is. Um... Crap factor. It's a two out of five. I think your worst actor in this film is probably Corey Feldman, to be honest with you. Corey Haim is fucking excellent in this movie. Uh, you know, uh, we have our Michael here. He's he's decent. Grandfather is great. The mom, maybe she might be in that category. Diane Weist might be in that category. And Star, she's just kind of useless. I think that character is useless. It's just to have sex with Michael and to entice him to being a vampire. That's really it. There's, there's no other reason to have him. So it's it's like a 2 out of 5. The fun factor of this movie, though, it's a 5 out of 5. Like, 
just from uh, Keith or Sutherland's performance uh, to just the setting, to the way the sets are designed, to the, the final thing with the vampires coming in the house, all the jokes that go on, the serious moments that are there. It, it's great. It really does give you that feeling of more of like a fantasy setting than a horror setting. Like it truly is like an, an alternate reality Peter Pan where Max is Peter and then the Lost Boys is Kiefer and his group. So it, it's still a lot of fun. Still made me smile every time I was seeing it. And again, I love the city and, and everything around it. So my nostalgia has not gone down too much while watching this. So overall... I'm going to give this four out of five dick invitations. So it's it's a great movie to watch. Uh, if you want something different out of your 80s horror movie, this is the way to go. I wish there were more movies that were like this at the time. But, you know, I would say that in some cases your mileage may vary depending on how you feel about certain actors and certain things that are going on in the film. Um, and, you know, but if you look at it for just at its time... I think it's worth a rewatch just so that you could see whether or not maybe you were wrong or you're just being biased about something else that's in the film. So, uh, now, what are we doing next time? Now, so the next episode is going to be the beginning of October, so you know what that means. It's time for Zombie Ween, finally. And so, for the very first movie for this podcast, uh, all on Rob Zombie, is of course... Well, let's start the Firefly Trilogy right away with House of a Thousand Corpses. Howdy, folks. You like blood, violence, freaks of nature? On a stormy Halloween night, four young people set out across the back roads of America. What's that? It's a hitchhiker. What, should we stop? We can't leave right here in the rain. In search of a mysterious figure known only as... Dr. Satan. You know anything about the legend of Dr. Satan? Yeah, I can show you. Dr. Satan! Ah, Dr. Satan! What they uncovered... <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. ...is the most horrifying and shocking tale of carnage ever seen. Well, I bet you'd stick your head in the fire if I told you you could see hell. You seen this girl? Yeah, they want to play Nancy Drew with this local legend that people call Dr. Satan. Stupid kids probably got themselves lost. Let's get out of this nut house. <laughs> the boogeyman is real. <laughs> and you found him. From director Rob Zombie comes a journey into hell. This can't be real, this can't be real, this can't be real. House of a Thousand Corpses. Hope you like what you see. So, that's right. We're watching House of Thousand Corpses, uh, and this is all going to be Dave and I throughout the entire month of October. So, we've got four different movies that we're doing from Rob Zombie, and then we've got one that's going to be something special at the end of the month, uh, which I think everybody's going to fucking enjoy. I'm going to enjoy doing it. Once again, it's a movie that uh, I, I enjoy watching every October. So, 
there's two things going on. And one, that zombie ween is going to be happening with the podcast. And then two, I'm going to be doing the 31 and 31. And the beginning of it is going to start, of course, October 1st. I haven't quite picked out my theme. I have a couple ideas that I want to do. But those ones will be like mini video reviews, about 10 minute reviews every day for that month for a movie that I watch for the day. Uh, and those ones are going to come out daily on YouTube and Instagram TV. So if you're not following me on either one of those already, please make sure you do. And you'll get a like a little short review of just random, like a theme. I have a couple ideas. I'm not sure exactly where I want to go. Um, and we'll, we'll see where it is, you know, de- kind of debating on what exactly I want to do. And before we leave here with this podcast, there is one last Lost Boys trivia thing that I almost forgot. And I want to include this. So the sax man, right? He actually is a real musician. His name is Tim Capallo, and he actually is known for performing in the way that he performs. Uh, he is notable for his muscular physique, his sexually provocative mo- movements during his performance, and his tendency to perform shirtless with his skin oiled and his hair in a ponytail. So he was active mostly through, uh, well, 97 to present, but primarily in like the 80s and 90s was he uh, doing his thing. So he actually was a big part of the movie. It's real. Um, and he was really, I guess maybe he was kind of popular at the time. I don't know. But that's actually the way he performed. So without all that being said, so don't forget to watch House of a Thousand Corpses. I think it's currently available on Amazon Prime. I think most people that listen to this podcast have probably already seen it multiple times. And just get ready. I'm warning everybody. These are going to be long ones because Dave and I can't shut up. Uh, we talk about Rob Zombie. We've tried. We've tried to keep everything as short as we can. And uh, it, it's it's going to be rough. Not rough in terms of the episode, but the length is going to be quite long. And especially for four episodes, five episodes that we're doing all for the month of October. And again, it's four Rob Zombie movies. You know three of them because they're the Firefly trilogy, right? We're going to start with House of Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and then we're going to move on to Three from Hell. And then we picked a fourth Rob Zombie movie, which if I haven't said on some other podcast, I'm not going to say it here. I'll leave it as, uh, you know, suspense. And then, again, it's the last one. is not a Rob Zombie movie, but it should be a movie that everybody will enjoy uh, that we're doing for the whole month. So... With that being said, don't forget to follow the SIP Network. Uh, that's SIPnet.us, where you can find such podcasts as the Angry Dad Podcast, So I Married a Bidfoot, uh, Paranormal Pativity, Five Faith from Fans, From the Waste, Dead Hand Radio, Back in Time Podcast, It Be Like That Podcast, and, of course, a podcast from another world, and the Terrible Terror Podcast. Hopefully, I have not forgotten everybody, because I do that off the top of my head every time I record that. So... Other than that, don't forget to follow the podcast out there on things like Facebook, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Twitter, T underscore T underscore Podcast, YouTube, Terrible Terror Podcast, and Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast. So we'll be doing House of Thousand Corpses next episode uh, on the 3rd. That'll be the first one. And then 31 and 31, all mini reviews on IGTV and YouTube. Thank you guys for listening. Happy anniversary to me. And we'll see you next time. Take care of yourselves and each other.
Storm 